3: Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning.
0: Welcome to the mystery. Welcome to Creek Devil.
3: Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Creek Devil. I'm interviewing Jerry Klein today. We're going to start with a 911 call he made in 2014 And I want to warn you, there is some explicit language in this recording. We're going to interview Jerry afterwards. Uh, I also want to mention that during the 911 call, the operator asked him if he'd been drinking. He was honest. He said he had been. He was on a fishing trip. He had a few beers. He wasn't drunk. And something else to take note of, during the 911 call, you'll hear some noises, some pounding on the trailer, and some growls that were made by the creatures. So having said that, enjoy the interview. And we're gonna start right now.
4: Nine one one we the address uh, number. Yeah, that's Mount right, Vaughn. Okay, what's the address? I I'm from here in Denver. It's uh ten four 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 four. But I'm at uh Manwork and Bay the I can't understand you, sir, where are you at? <laughs> my guy, in fact, he's trying to push my damn car over when it's Okay, what's, where are you at? Yeah. Sir, I need your... Yeah. yeah, I understand something's going on. What's the address? It's, uh, 10 10 4 4 at the, the bottom of the, the, the road down there. I'm a small fish, a badger, a big fish, 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 a what <laughs> okay, I got 10 10 10 10 10 understand 10 you. 10 10 10 10 I 10 10 10 10 10 10 I 10 10 10 10 10 10 10 for document, that's You're clear, 2202. Okay, somebody tried to. do all Every time i it Who is it? <laughs> it's, uh, I did good research, and this thing's trying to shove it over. Wait, hey, it's over. <laughs> hey, hey! Hey! I got two more here i just close the one here, and it comes back around that we've to... okay, I've got them, I've 42, right, uh, 11, that's not the right tag or something. 4,200 units, Colors yeah. and Bison, uh, Bigfoot is trying to push his trailer over at ten four four four, 4, 4, 4, no threads. If uh, it's, perfect, uh, we the RSPA, RSPA, the bottom I'm over back here. All right. I'm the one the first i am this, you. Oh my gosh, 37 ever again. What's going on? Are You still there? Yeah. yeah. You said it's one oh four 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 Monroe Road. Yes. Yeah. What's it's your name? It's the bond. It's 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 not John. It's not John Lewis's property. But, but uh, we got a tent down here, and I'm by myself, and you're still here trying to sit my damn tenter. I'm standing upright here, and I don't know what my name is a tenter, but... What's your name, sir? Uh, huh? What's your name? My name is okay, Jerry Klein. Jerry what? Jerry Klein. Do Come you know on. I mean. Thank you. All right. Is uh, something still outside your trailer? Yeah, yeah. I don't my shit or up and I totally forgot it and I didn't think about it. I thought I can't fly when my dad's out here and uh, Okay, the first time I've ever, I, I've already seen so one last September, um, October, August, August, I'm 104 just, I'm sure you my big i seen the river last August, about 1.30 in the morning. Yeah. you uh, if uh, <laughs> Oh my God. Jesus. 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 He's, he's still yelling at it. I can hear a ruckus in there and then he yells, get out of here. He says it's Bigfoot. <laughs> Yeah, I got an officer. I got officers on the way out there. I'm going to get Yeah, you did. I'm going I'm going milk. get i get get I'm Okay. Is anybody else there outside your trailer that you know of? Any other people? <laughs> okay. I have officers on the way down there. I have three of them coming down the out here. In okay, now, let's see. I'm looking at the map here. You're back a long way, aren't you? Yes, yes, we're back home back here. And, and I heard two of them. One of them was yelling earlier through the window. and uh, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I just fell back to sleep and I fell back up. And then he's trying to, he's the head of the turn. Yes, yeah, this is going to be the first driveway. It's going to be south of where Cory Chapel and New Gambier come together. It's going to be on your east side from long lane. I'm again. And yes! back to Get out here! Go! it again. Yes! Get the hell out of here! we in 95, Village Parkway. Signal 7, Frank. Union. 1392. Red Point in. One 22 you <laughs> sure yeah, it's just Yes, just south of Court Chapel and New Gander Road. There, driveway right on the east side of the road. Side Clear. Seven at Sea Lake. There's nothing on that phone. Forty-eight, right? Are you? So I was in there. Well, I'm trying to help you grab some all here. So, hold on. You get. Uh-huh. You sure it could be people out there messing with you? No, it's not. I see two big red arms in the back of my uh, window on the left side. Nine seven. And when I set the flashlight up, I got the flashlight on now. And and uh, and. I got 10 women in here that in. Oh my god, we're shifting around again. Come on, get it out. Let me get out of here. get of here. i get out 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 here. here. Come on. Now, are you armed at all, sir? No, I'm not, I'm yeah. not, I'm nothing, can't tell me how, but he seems kind of terrible, but he's probably jumping over if he wants to. <laughs> the 4,200 is fine. Uh, Fucking hell are you! He's had no weapons. Okay, Jerry, I got officers on the way, buddy. Okay. <laughs> uh. You said you saw somebody looking in your window? And he had two big red eyes. Two big red eyes? Yeah, I just like the one I see August. Okay. And you said you, 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 were, you were asleep eyes? before this and they woke you up? Yeah, stay away with and please. My nose hit him a car. I got, two got a of them. He's not afraid of nothing. He's not in the car. He doesn't look the there. Okay. Please stay alive with me. Yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> I'm sitting on the floor of a trailer now. I'm just going to imagine I hope my dog's finally just come out. Okay. I'm getting the activity now, and I'm taking the thing around. I okay. hope oh, they're fucking left. I've got an audio recorder out there, building a civilian. Hopefully, it picked us all up, man. tell me what, I ain't doing this shit no more. Get up and tear the shit out of me. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to stay right here in the train. I didn't know, but it still shows up. Okay. We've got people on the way out there. 444. Hey, from 10444. It's a long lane on the east side of the railway. You'll just stay uh, to your right. There's a, a branch that goes to the left. Let's stay on your right. Don't yeah, real see the sign. OFCA uh, 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 sign out there. We got a white sign out there the for OFCA. My dog, he's crawling all over me. He knows what the hell's going on. He knows what these things are Twenty-two All 20, All right, you should see him coming back there. They're on their way. Okay. 361 444 yeah, yeah. north. Yeah. You see the car lights yet? Yeah. I can't see that, yet. Okay, out the back by that's me, I'm Get son of it. the officers are coming back there. <laughs> Is there a closed gate back there somewhere, Jerry? No, 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 he said there's no, 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 the, down by the river. It's always down. comes down by the river. Twelve go I'm back three five. He passed all ten. Oh God. down 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 I not I know you don't Get the out of here! Get it! Get it! Get the fuck out of here! Come on. I'm you not better, I'm scared. to I'm sure you go, get two. I'm sure you can out get these out of me down there. All right, 2 i right okay it should be all the way back into the driveway uh he's inside. he's still pretty shook up i still have two the headlights no uh, headlights um, yeah okay now the officers are coming back there so okay. oh they come back Cuz i can't see it now i got my ten of windows here man has got the face in right up in the second window <coughs> I wear right, there, right. Do You, do you there? Around like a, a red Do you rent there? And uh, What's that? Are you a renter back there? No, no, no. I, I belong to the club back here. We just got a small, no club, but I've been doing zigzags just because I've been having. I had my sighting last August. Oh, you do big time yeah. research? Yeah. Okay. Everyone, Fuck you! They keep looking in here. Love you. Guys. Hey, now there's officers coming back there. It might be them. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> 444. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. You should be able to hear him. He's carrying on inside the trailer. <laughs> I'm tired on the I'm parking lot, keep going over there on the <laughs> are Are you down by the river? Yeah, I'm down there. I'm down here. I'm, it says, uh, There's line that says OSPA. Yes, claims. That's what I've been trying to tell you guys. They've been back here before. <laughs> Last year, they came down here to address it. Now I'm like, now I'm we're uh, really trying to get some big good out here. Yeah. I don't know why <laughs> i <laughs>
5: Listen to the static at the end here. Hear it? That is the end for sound phone. Yeah, I'm
4: still here, sir. I'm still here.
5: You're going to hear a growl. I just heard a growl going through there. I just heard it.
4: pretty quiet now
5: because i've never had this radio up this high before so it was cranked side, up but I, I got the term flies while i'm a big
4: high every now and then i'll see one and see their eyes when they do the window okay okay huh these things i'm going to shut my dead trailer over on me Oh, yeah? Yeah? Do you have a car back there? Do you have a vehicle back here with you? I had my pickup truck, yeah. And I have been drinking, but I'm telling you, I'm not seeing shit. This shit happened. Yeah. (laughs) I just want to get the hell out of here. Somebody get me the hell out of here. So you're not going to stay back down there no more, huh? Oh, hell no. No. I'm done. Yeah, i right. No. No, I'm not close to them. No, not any other night. Nope. Yeah. Eat, eat okay. Man, I'm telling you what. Where are you from? Melbourne. Nope, never... Okay, Melbourne. No, you're not too far away then. No. Nope. I live off of uh, Maplewood Avenue. Nice to meet
5: you. know headlights. Okay, well, you won't. They're going to be on foot coming down to your cabin. I thought you were in the. I did not bit. realize that. I just give out where I live. I'm going
4: to move behind towers when I got, but I, uh, I, I, uh, I think the main the lane, lane is good. It's it's gravel and everything. Can they get to you from the bike path? You'll have to cross over the bike path. The light There's a drive back here. I've got my, my command back here. I'm looking out the window and there's no more out there. Where's oh, no boat? Come on, get the hell out of here. Come oh, on, get this. Come on out of here. Correct. Is there another? Was there another one out there? There's nobody out there who no keeps staying. They're stopping the fuck out of me.
5: I kept seeing the red eyes going back and forth across them little tiny windows I had in there. Yeah.
4: not out for my Yeah. window. Yeah. Man, think There's two of them out here. Two of them out there? Yeah, there's two of them. one, one window and one on the other one. How? You guys gotta get somebody down here. Yeah, we got people on the way. They're trying to get, get down there to you. They can drive back here. The driver's drive. It's, it's private drive. Okay, and well, they weren't I drove like I the motor down here yesterday. Thank you. We have to go about a God. You know, yes. yeah, a fucking walking? The Jesus Christ. Crown water, oil is got to dry. If they go to work they need to. I can there's a dirt path. Yeah, there is, there is. Actually actually a gravel path. It's gravel. It's a drive back here. We just, they just put new gravel in down here. Some small. Okay, I see a head Thank God, I see 50 here. Oh see God! now? Okay. God! you said God! were two God! back there you thought? God! What that? You said t- you thought there was two people back there? Yeah, two people. We were doing a bunch shit, but stopped the new Went We got trailer over. What color's your trailer? It's black. Black? Yes. I just laying right there with Satan. They think they're rocking the hell out of my trailer. Okay, you should have officers out there now. They won't be. I got them. I got them. Okay, I will let you go. All right. Thank you. are welcome. Okay, I can get there. I'm on my right. right. so, way. Right Hold on, man. Hold right. on. Hold on, man. Right. Hold on, man. 11 at 71, is Jerry Klein on uh, Gambier. Oh, um, it was, uh, and it was Edward Boyd. They were I'm telling you what, uh, I'm <laughs> about to rip over my trailer. It's down there. And, uh, i got my audio recorder set up down there. He's trying to hit my damn trailer over. Come here, bud. Come on. here. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know,
2: I'm a I not know.
3: I I am well, after a few technical difficulties, we're back with Jerry here. We had a little break there. So, Jerry, let's go back to 2013, a year before the 911 call on that incident, and just kind of tell us how things unfolded, you know, and what you were doing in that area.
5: Yeah, I was down on our gold claim. We've got a lease on uh, here in Knox County, and uh, I was camping down there. I had a cargo trailer and quad gold equipment. And, uh, it's just a hobby here in Ohio. It's not big gold or anything. It's just plaster gold. As the night uh, you know, I would camp down there. I kept getting things messed with. on my. Like, I got some white, uh, plastic tables with legs that fold out block. And, uh. So, uh, there was a message just come across the top here sorry about that but anyhow uh, so I've seen things get messed with on my table like boxes and forks and stuff to be open in the morning I found a handprint on my truck and I thought maybe somebody was messing with me you know can you guys hear me?
3: yeah we can hear you just fine Jerry
5: oh okay it, it's it's like dead quiet on my end
3: but anyhow <laughs> no no we're, we're letting letting you talk
5: okay and um so anyhow so i you know i just got curious and i was on the webs you know on youtube checking out people's bigfoot pages on there so i went and got a cassette record walmart that come with a microphone so I hid that in my truck there and, and hid the mic down underneath of, it went through my little flap, my vent window, and I run it out and hid it underneath my windshield wiper. And, and then in the mornings I'd get up because it only run so long on that one side of the cassette tape, you know. And I'd get up the next morning, make my breakfast, sit down and listen to it. And uh, I was sitting there listening to it one morning, and I heard, you know, uh, like branches being broke and snapped. Uh, I heard a wood knock way off in the distance on it. Um, Then I heard one urinating right by camp there. It sounded like a horse. (laughs) And... Then I heard that I had a CB antenna, one of them, uh, uh, one that's got a magnet on. Them. And you had to open the door to literally reach over there and touch the base of, you know. And I heard that antenna on uh, the audio, on the cassette recorder go, like that. I thought, what the heck was that? That dawned on me, it was that, that antenna on my truck. So I went over and looked, and there's a big handprint right on the window. Where I put one hand on the window and wrenched up there and twanged that uh, antenna.
3: How big do you think those handprints were, Jerry? What's that? How large do you think those handprints were compared to human?
5: Uh, they was way bigger than mine. Um, I couldn't tell you by inches how big, but they was way bigger than mine. So, you know, I was watching other people and they was into the habituating thing. So I started getting some Twizzlers and Reese Cups, the singles and the bags, because, um, you know, they had, you know, like the bags that you get for Halloween, it's just got the single Reese Cups in there. And I made a gifting tree and that's where I messed up to begin with, uh, habituating these creatures. But... Um what happened was is that I was doing it so often. I could literally count the twizzlers in the package. And at the time I didn't have no trail cameras or anything. All I had was... I think by then I'd advanced to a, a digital audio recorder. But you could hear them on the digital audio recorders opening up the wrappers. Of the Reese cups, just like we would with your fingers, and they would pull the Reese cup out of the wrap, out of that cup, and drop the wrapper in the cup on the ground and eat the, the Reese cup. The Twizzlers, they didn't like a whole lot because I could count them; there'd only be one or two missing out of that package next month. But I could set out five, six of those Reese cups, the individual, you know. And all the rappers have been open, and they'd all been eight. But, uh, and then there on, you know, uh, I started watching other channels. I don't know you guys are probably familiar with the uh, bear. He's been on crossroads there. They said, don't habituate these things. That's what happened. I quit habituating them. And then I come down, uh, back down there, and spent oh uh, one weekend because I, I live here in Mount Vernon, and took cargo trailer down there and was just gonna go fishing for the weekend. No gold prospecting, no Bigfoot, no nothing, just fish. And then that's when the nine one one call occurred, an 14 and that's when that started. Uh, you know, maybe go on with that now or?
3: Yeah, first, let's go back um, on your table there. You had a, that was one of those heavy plastic tables set up. And, and what happened with that? Uh,
5: well, I, you know, I had milk jugs and stuff on there. I'd have, you know, stuff messed with on there all the time. When I'd get up in the morning, stuff would be rearranged all over the table.
3: How do you mean arranged?
5: Rearranged. You know, where I left it that night and then the next morning, it would all be rearranged from the way I left stuff that night. Like water jugs uh, would be sitting on the other side of the table instead of where I had them. I had one of them that had to spout on it, and it would be set over it towards the other end of the table, but laying on its side. But I wouldn't find no coon prints up on the table. itself. thinking, you know, well, could a coon move that water jugs in pretty big, good size? It was a big blue one. Didn't then you, I had the milk-style water jugs, you know.
3: Mm-hmm. Didn't you say those were one time they were arranged, they were laying down, I think three of them, they were pointing at each other?
5: Oh, that was okay. That was when I had my sighting. Now, oh, okay, now I am okay. Getting, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead That's and tell when us about I
3: that. My sighting.
5: See, we've done this so many times. We've tried, <laughs> you know, with technical errors here, and my mind's going, it's <laughs> skipping back and forth because we've had to restart over. But sorry, anyhow.
3: Oh, no problem. Yeah, we've had a lot of problems with technical issues trying to record.
5: <laughs> so, my first sighting, that was when I was habituated. And I had another trailer out there, some people give me, and it had it was full of wood. And I wanted to burn that wood up so I could put the trailer down at the end of our landowner's driveway and put a for sale sign on. And I had my cargo trailer there. And this was the night of my sighting. And I was burning that wood and I fell asleep in my chair by the fire, but I wanted to stay up as long as I could, so none of them logs roll off over towards my cargo trailer because it's brand new. And I woke up. It was about one o'clock in the morning. And I'm poking around on the fire. I heard some splashing coming across the river. And I had one of them big square uh, flashlights. You know, it used to take the Ds uh, or the six uh, six volt cell battery in it or whatever. But now they hold the four D batteries in them. But it's a LED, and I had that set beside me, and they're pretty bright. I, I flashed down there thinking it was a big buck coming across that water you because know, it was last week into August and I was getting ready to head to another gold claim for uh, gold rush days and I hit him mid stride his, his right front leg was forward left leg was backward and he just stopped and froze and I could tell it was a he not to get ahead of myself here when I seen him with the light time, is He kind of turned his head. He had his head turned. Looking directly in front of him. And then he turned his body slightly towards me. And I could see his eyes turning. You know. The red eyes shine. And then he raised his upper lip. And went, like that. And curled his upper lip up. And I could see his teeth. They was blocked just like ours. I didn't see no canines. But this happened. in Within a matter of a minute if that, and I jumped up, run around there, and my side door on my cargo trailer, real, you know, kind of short, had to almost duck to get in, but I jumped up in there and cracked my forehead, I still got the scar on my forehead, cracked it on the corner of the door frame, and then got in a cargo trailer there, locked the doors, and I loaded up a shotgun at the time, and then I sat there and sat there and I thought I was sweat. I didn't know, realize I was bleeding and I didn't hear nothing. Didn't hear nothing. I was afraid that cargo trailer was just going to be slammed over on that door side. And I'd have to make my way out the little windows. that's in my cargo trailer. So nothing ever happened. So I laid down on the cot and then finally I fell asleep and, uh, I woke up next morning, looked at my pillow, I got up, my hair was all sticky, and I looked at the pillow and it was full blood. I was laying on my shotgun, It somehow rolling around there, I, you know, it slipped up under, underneath me, but I did the, you know, the Jed tucked the last sips out of those beer cans and just left the little truck beer cans going out through there, and After that, I got to the gold. The other gold claim was telling everybody about my sighting. Everybody, yeah, 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 right. And you know, over the since then, I've had people say, "Why didn't you pull your camera out and take pictures? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that?" When you've got that much of a split second and something you've never seen before, ever in your life, especially I've been a logger majority of my life and did not believe in these creatures and I've been in the woods by myself 18 times and never seen, never even really looked for sign um, I've been an ad but deer hunter uh, but uh, I don't know, right place at the right time and I got picked uh, you know from a Bigfoot to show himself to But right after that's where I quit avituating and I hadn't been camping down there for a while. So I went back in 014. There was supposed to have been some other people down there camping with us that weekend to fish and do some prospecting. Nobody showed up. So I was the only one down there. And by then I'd got my blue tech hound dog. He was a rescue dog. I'd got him at that time and I took him down there camping with me. That's when the nine one one occurred. Uh, incident there.
3: Okay. Do you want to lead us into that? What happened that evening?
5: Okay. Yeah. I got a fire going, went down, did some fishing earlier that day, and then, uh, sat around the fire. I had some beer. I'm not going to lie about it. I had some beers, you know, Um uh, a lot of people go camping. They like to drink, too. And, and I was, you know, I went to bed early, though. It just started to get dark. And uh, it was about 9 o'clock. You know, it's just dusk. So I went ahead, went in there and got caught, went to sleep. And right around 10 o'clock, cargo trailer started shaking violently. And I thought it was kids or somebody at first messing with me. So I to hear them growling through two little windows.
3: And I don't know, if uh, you, folks, if you noticed when we played the 911 call, you can actually hear the growling, I think, about three different times.
5: Yeah. And um, those windows was tenant, you know. But the one 9-1, on 911, just shut the windows. You know. <laughs> I, but... I was taking my flashlight and you could see two sets of red eyes on both windows going back and forth past the, that little window. But the, the wideness of the eyes, you'd see one eye pass and then like a second and then another eye pass through that was telling me how wide those eyes, were, how big they were. And, and now there was banging going on but that was me inside there <clears throat> I'm trying to get them to quit shaking rocking the, the cargo truck and I was cussing at them I don't know if I was making them even worse or what but at the same time I'm trying to talk to the 911 and the person on 911 and you know I didn't realize what was going on. The thing of it is, I give them the address to the property, but I told them I was at the drive down by the river, you know. And so uh, they kept going up and down the road. finally, they went on the landowner's drive, which is up on the hill. And I could and still talk, you know, I could hear the, the operator, 911 operator telling the cops, you know, it's, you know, or you could hear her talking back and forth with them over her intercom to where I'm telling them, I'm down at the river. We have a lane down at the river. You know, I just drove my Z-28 down here. And they sent a guy down the bike path, which by then, you know, in the meantime, the, the rocking and shaking and everything, about 20 minutes later, they finally come down through there. Now, let me remind you. Those headlights, you could see those headlights probably a good quarter of a mile away down that lane before the officers could even see what was going on in that trailer. Because there's a bend that goes around right there to our camping area. So those creatures, when they seen the headlights, it took off. And then as I was talking to 911, I told them, you know, I said, you know, I was excited. I said, I see headlights, I see headlights. I guess one officer come down the bike path, saw the one run up over the bike path, take one hand and step over a cattle fence that is high as my chin. And then he come running through the briars and he was a deputy sheriff, come running down through there and by then, you know, they was all there, they was all surrounded cargo trailer and then when I got out you know I was I was just barefooted I didn't have I said can I put my socks and shoes on I said sure and then one of the officers walked around back and seen a footprint where the dog had dug a fresh hole at and then the officer said let me see the bottom of your feet so he looked by my feet and it was clean because I just took my shoes and socks off before I laid down and Then there's two big handprints on the other side of the cargo trailer right at the top. And the one officer actually pulled a piece of firewood over there, log, stepped up on it and seen the fingerprints on top. And I begged him to get me out of there. I said, I know I've been drinking, but I can't drive. I said, I don't want to stay here tonight. And then they got a call of some guy threatening to shoot his wife with a shotgun. So they had to hurry up and leave out. So um, I spent the night there. And then the next morning, I went and uh, made a casting of that footprint. Uh, Doug Waller of the Sauceby Group, which is Southeastern Society for Bigfoot Investigations here in Ohio, he's the. Uh, only one I called uh, BFRO to come out doing in- investigations out there they would not I could not get a hold of nobody um, Doug Waller come out off of my first sighting went down to the river there about where the, the Bigfoot was standing or Sasquatch and he had a stick plus he is six foot three I think Doug is and I told him there was a limb hanging down that I could see was almost touching the Bigfoot's head. And I said, hold that stick up there. So with his height and it was a yard stick, he was holding up there. We figured anywhere from nine and a half to 10 foot tall. This guy was, you know, and, uh, but I don't know if that was the same one. It was rock my cargo trailer because I seen two sets of eyes, you know, um, uh, on both sides of that cargo trailer, out of one window on one side and one window on other. So,
2: hey Jerry, how big were the footprints? In this ballpark? park, how big do you think they were? The one that I casted that Doug Waller's
5: got, I think it's 19 and a half inches.
2: Okay, that's big. That's very, very big. And you said uh, one of the deputies came walking down the trail or down the road, and he saw this thing step over a cattle gate. Have you talked to him? Because I, I'm thinking if I saw something and I'm it's in close proximity, I'm going to be rattled. I'm just curious if you had any sense of how that deputy's response you know what his emotions were you know did he was he scared they kind of
5: huddled together and was talking with each other under you know away from me plus there was an ODNR officer there I don't really know if you know they wanted it to get out you know especially in Knox County and you know what was going on, but no, I haven't really. They know of me, the depth I've got several deputy sheriff friends, but the one that saw will not speak. Of it. And uh, the one deputy friend I have, he knows the guy, and he don't know if he got traumatized or he's just scared to say anything about it. be harassed. You know, but they knew something was going on because, you know, you can't falsify a call like that. That's a, I don't know if it's a felony or if it's a misdemeanor, but
2: you go to jail for doing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I bet you can. Um, and I think at one point you had mentioned that the creatures had actually moved your trailer a couple of feet. Can you talk about that a little bit?
5: Yeah. At the bottom of my my wheel, or my tires, I had two jack stands underneath them to keep it level. I'd use a tongue uh, in the front, the tongue jack in the front, and then two in the back. And I'd jack it up until I got it leveled up off the ground. knock well, when they was rocking it, they rocked it to the right, if you're looking at the back of the trailer. And... They had moved it about a foot, pretty close to it, but the grass and the dirt was piled up on uh, the left inside tire, and then grass and dirt was piled up on the right inside tire, and both those jack stands was knocked over, and they was laying back, you know, back to where the tires originally was, because I always put them back at the corner, the very corners, even where the tires. So, that's how much they moved it, that cargo. How,
2: uh, how heavy do you think your trailer was? Oh, I don't remember. Uh,
5: it was a small cargo trailer. It was an 8x10 closed-in cargo trailer, real thin aluminum on the outside, I actually put the windows in myself and I was like when I was cutting the holes out I saw, you know, I was like, man, that's a awful thin aluminum. It's just a skin. But it's framed inside aluminum framed inside with paneling on it inside, wood panel. And the floor was wood panel too. But I couldn't tell. You. Yeah, that will add weight. Yeah. And the back doors it had the two swinging outdoors, like the semi's got back end of a semi-trailer
2: oh okay yeah
5: unlatch you had to unlatch and then swing them out then I had to of course a side door
2: right well the reason I asked was I just want to kind of get a sense of what kind of strength uh, was required for these creatures this isn't something that two guys could just pick up and scoot your trailer sideways like that a foot or two no, no,
5: especially at that time, I was a little heavier too, I was over 200 pounds, you know, and I'm inside there, so that's added extra
2: weight, you know, dead weight. Right, there. sure, and why, why would they do it? Um, have you heard of any other, has anybody else in the area, have there been any other sightings, any other people have experiences that you've heard about in that area? Yes. Can you tell us about it?
5: There's one woman that she will not speak of it either. I got to talk to her, her co-worker and he's actually a witness of it too. But what they they uh they work for the the county here. They go out in the fall and they'll they'll drive back roads. And then map the roads out of which ones need road work done on them for the next spring or something. So they would go out. So there's a river called Coasing River that we're on down there at our gold claim. There's a bridge down to end of our road there. And this guy and this woman that worked for the road commission here, Val well, Vernon, and they worked for the county. Um, they was out mapping that road to see how bad it was if they needed to, you know, scheduled in for next year to have road work done, whether repaved or whatever. And she was driving, and he told me, he said, they come across that bridge, and this, you're talking 300 yards from where I camp at where the bridge is and this creature run from right to left going towards the camping area but on the other side of the river in an open cornfield right at dusk i mean they said they had their headlights on but it was you know just light enough that this thing run across the road on the other side of that bridge as soon as they crossed that bridge come right to left and went on the landowner's brother's property run over that direction because there's a woods right there and it run down into that woods and she got up the road there and they've got some grain bins up there she pulled over and told her co-worker and she said she was shaking really bad she said I've never seen nothing like that she said I can't drive you're going to have to take me back in to Mount so he he took her back in there and they both kind of shook up. Um, one of the guys, how I found out about it was, was one of the workers at Truck Pro knows the woman. She told him about this. at One time she said she'll never speak of it again because it scared her so bad. And then he told me how to get a hold of the guy she worked with and I got to talk to him. But there's been the BFRO just had a sighting, uh, uh, one mile from there, um, down on thirty six, uh, right there out of uh, uh, Howard, the town of Howard. There's a bridge right there. One, these, this couple was going down through there, and one come up out of the ditch, jumped the guardrail, straight over a hill. It's, uh, the ditch line's probably about on the other side, about ten foot. Deep down and goes down into a field to the river. And those pe- those two people got a hold of BFRO and they, they lived there, but they was headed to Coshockton for a Christmas party or something or another. I don't I don't even I know it was in the winter time, but I don't remember what month it was. But it is up on the BFRO website. And uh, that that happened right after my sightings and my incident. That happened like maybe a year or two ago, and that's just a mile up the road. Howard, that's a that's a five minute drive from where our camp is to where that sighting was.
2: It sounds to me like you know you got corn and 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 uh, agriculture out there, so these creatures have a good food supply. And then yeah. I, I would think that would be one of the main draws for them. What, uh, going back to your event where you're in the trailer, what's going through your mind? What are you thinking when this is all going on?
5: Uh, you can't really think what's going on in your mind at a time like that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, after I, mean, I got caught, you're, you're scared, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really was. You know, I was in tears at a couple points in that time. Um, you know, uh, all I could think about was months after that happened. Was, why did I even put that out there? You know, I could have got somebody else hurt. Well, come find out, they started shaking Ron and Carmen's trailer right after mine. They parked in my spot, and I hadn't been there for, you know, the rest of that summer. And they went there to go gold prospecting, parked their cargo trailer out there, and they didn't even know what had happened to me. And then they called me up because they had a sighting down there, and um, Doug Waller's actually got their story in his book, too, as well as mine. But Ron opened the door up, kicked it open. And put a shot off down into the ground. And then they quit rocking the, the cargo trailer. Now. Um, Doug Waller's book. They've got that incident in there too. And they parked in the same exact. My old camping spot. And the same thing happened to them. Except they didn't call the deputy sheriff. Um, the day I was down there. I didn't. Take a gun or anything with me. So I wasn't planning on a you know. Just fishing. That's it. I had fishing poles in there, and some bait, live bait. But yeah, what was going through my mind? Yet yeah, it was the aftermath that went through my mind after. I didn't camp down there for the longest time. Uh, a friend of mine gave me a boater home, and I just equipped it. I put cameras all the way around it. Great big lights, and. Uh, I put Knox County Bigfoot organization stickers on it, but by God, if they're going to rock at that uh, 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 home, they, they're going to have to do some work on that one. Plus, they're going to be on camera.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's there's been other sightings out there, and you said this this last one was, did you say it was about a year ago? Yeah. So it it's been ongoing more. activity.
5: Yeah, yeah, it is. Yep. And like I said, the BFRO got that report. It's in Howard, Ohio. And that's just right around the corner from where my sighting and, and the 911 incident happened. Uh, it, uh, there was one up between... That's a ways off. There was another sighting that happened in 1976 and a curve, but that was up towards Amity, Ohio, which is about a uh, half an hour from where our camp is at. That'd be north of us there. But then there's been sightings down seven, 715, and that's one of my research areas down there at Mohawk Dam. And I do a lot of research down there. at. I actually got a picture of one here on the kitchen wall, uh, one that's got two nubs on its forehead, a trail camera caught. And there's actually two in the picture. There's, uh, they're juveniles. And, you know, it's not pareidolian because it was a still picture. It was a picture taken from the trail camera. And uh, I've been leaving the audio recorders out there, and I've been hearing stuff just Tearing up wood out in it, because it was a swamp back in there, and you'd constantly hear wood being torn up, just ripped apart. And finally, you know, I went back up in there one time, looked around, and you could see where I thought maybe it was a bear. So I put a trail camera up out there, and then I got that picture right there.
2: So I'm just going to go back <clears throat> to again what I what really. One of the things, one of the points that kind of caught my attention, that was a deputy walking down the road by himself. He's got a flashlight. He was on he's, a bike. He was on a bicycle?
5: No, he was on a bike path. There was a bike, bike path. path. A okay. Bike path that runs right along, runs right through the property. There. And they okay. sent him down on foot before the cruisers could actually get back down there. Because they kept showing up at the landowner's house. But the landowner wasn't even home.
2: Yeah, I remember. Me,
5: you know, on the 911, is there gates down there? I said, no, there's no gates. But there was up to landowners because he had cattle with him, And they had yeah. to keep going through gates and uh, cattle crossings. And,
2: uh, and you said the cattle gate. <clears throat> I just want to go back the cattle gate came up to your chest you said it was it was a cattle fence
5: kind of like a cattle you know, fence the square the square yep. fencing um,
2: yeah
5: he had that with a strand of electric over top it comes up to my chin my chin yeah, I did it, the deputy sheriff tell him that said whatever it was grabbed a hold of it with one hand and stepped
2: over and went straight <laughs> up the hill uh, I'd love to talk to that deputy. and I'd love to know what was going on in his mind when he saw that. Uh, cause that's gotta be a, a absolute terrifying. It's certainly going to be a, uh, you're going to stop in your tracks. Jerry, I, I thank you. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. We've had some technical issues. We got those resolved. And, um, again, a uh, big thanks from Creek Devil for coming on and sharing your uh, encounter with us.
3: Yeah, thank you a lot, Jerry. I you know people gave you a lot of guff, but uh, it's it's nonsense. It's a very credible uh, encounter.
2: No,
5: I kind of cut out on there for a minute there, Oh, Will. yeah,
3: no, thank you again for coming on. I, I know people in the past gave you a lot of grief about uh, the story, you know, and we mentioned that in the very beginning that you know you were very honest with the the nine one one dispatcher when they asked if you'd had anything to drink. He said yes, and uh, you know I think it's ridiculous. I you know, I've known people for many years who who've been in all stages of inebriation and have never once concocted a Bigfoot story and called nine one one. So <laughs> I think that's I think your I think your encounter is very credible. Well,
5: thank you, and thank you for letting me uh, be on your guys' show, and appreciate it.
3: Well, we appreciate you, Jerry. Thank you so much. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Tom, you want to mention Fred Sieber? yes
2: absolutely fred uh we want to do a shout out to fred sieber our school teacher in okinawa he's the head of the fifth grade team there at the bob hope elementary school and fred you've been with us for a long time and now fred is a uh, patreon supporter so a big shout out to fred and everybody in the fifth grade team at bob hope elementary school in okinawa
3: all right that's awesome Well, we're going to do about a half hour's worth of Q&A, and then we've been asking, you know, for listeners to come on and just, you know, you can just talk, you know, about about things you want to talk about or, you know, ask questions of Tom or myself or just kind of, you know, anything you want to talk about. Uh, So we've had Rob, who's going to be on after this segment, but we'll we'll mention that again at the end of the uh, Q&A. So, Tom, what do we have in the way of questions today?
2: Well... We have our very first question, and this is from Fred Seaburn. Actually, it's from Fred's class. And Brenna asks, do Sasquatch have fingerprints?
3: Hi, Brenna. Yes, as a matter of fact, um, I have several pictures, you know, really good ones of handprints uh, that uh, clearly show the fingerprints, and which is characteristic of other, you know, larger primates as well.
2: Well, I just want to say, Brenna, that was actually a very astute question, and I think that's, um, yeah, Will, so you've, you've actually seen the fingerprints then.
3: Yeah, I remember, you know, it's funny, years ago, um, you know, Green and, and all the original people, they, they thought it was all nonsense when, when it first started being brought up, the idea of fingerprints, and, you know, other, other large primates, including ourselves, have fingerprints. So, it's not something that's out of the question. And, uh, I, you know, I, it's one of those things I just sort of put, you know, on the back shelf until I saw things. And then I started having a few people um, who sent me pictures. Um, one from New York had some, you know, really good handprints on the back of his car. And another one from Indiana. And and my friend in Indiana, Indiana, his brother um as a crime scene investigator for a large metropolitan police force and um and i won't i don't know which one he didn't say you know he wanted to keep him um you know incognito so uh, but he actually found prints the two kinds of prints actually one print was a handprint on, on his truck window and another one was a what he says is a nose smudge on another window which could be we don't know but on on the handprints in both cases, um, you know, the whorls and, and finger uh, prints are very clear. So, yeah.
2: Well, <clears throat> you know, I think we should uh, start a database of known fingerprints with these things. So, when somebody comes up and smudges your doors or your windows, we're like, it's that one. I know who it is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> okay. So, Brian uh wrote in and brian says he really enjoyed the episodes with our bigfoot hunters from australia so uh, kind of a shout out to that team too we really appreciate you guys taking the time to come on our show and talk about what's going on in australia brian says you know australia is a pretty unique continent he goes i believe it separated from the mainland about 180 million years ago
3: mm-hmm.
2: and that's why the wildlife is so unique And he says, listening to your guests speak about their Bigfoot experiences, it seems they were very similar to the North American Bigfoot. So I think I see where he's going here. Um, He goes, I think it would be impossible for Australian Bigfoot to evolve so closely to the North American Bigfoot when they've been separated for so long. The only possibility is that they somehow cross the ocean to Australia in more recent times Mm Or is there a better explanation? And real quick, I just want to comment. Brian, that's a very thoughtful question, and I don't know the answer to it, but at Will, what are your thoughts? Well, I don't, either, I don't either know
3: either, because in Indonesia, we have the same thing. So the question is, how did they get there? Um, the only thing I can think is maybe when the oceans were much lower and they were able to cross, you know, smaller bodies of water. I don't know.
2: Yeah, and that's a that's a, and we we know that they're in South America, right? But they're a different. At least I'm thinking of Deloy's eight. Maybe there's some others that are closer to the North American.
3: Yeah, I, I've heard I've heard a couple of stories in, in Mexico, of course. Too so we, we have normal Sasquatch there, so um, it's reasonable to believe that if they're that far south and they're in Central and South America as well.
2: Yeah, so Brian, good thinking, and thank you for the question.
3: Absolutely,
2: don't know the exact answer, but someday we might. Who knows? Yeah, very true. You'll be the first to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so a lot of people had a said interest in the um, Australian episodes on the Yowie, hmm. and. And I think that only makes sense. I was—I just want to say that uh, my own perspective was, before we interviewed the, uh, the all the folks, all the great folks from Australia, I didn't really know just how similar to—I mean, uh, they're basically a carbon copy of what's here in North America. It's, you know, vice versa, they're—they're they're very similar.
3: You know, that's a good point. I, I didn't either. Um... You know, focusing on what we have here in North America has been my, um, you know, sort of my view for years. Uh, with an interest in things elsewhere, but you know, it's very time-consuming when you when you're doing work with what we have here. I mean, there's much, much more than you think to handle. So, um, interest in those things have been kind of a passing interest at best. So you know, we started looking for people to talk to in Australia and and it was real struggle for a long time. Believe me, folks. Um, we had a real hard time trying to find people because there were people that used to be involved and they dropped out. And, uh, thankfully we were able to connect with some really good folks there. And, um, and it was amazing, you know, listening to the witnesses and the researchers talk about the different accounts and, and those details in those accounts and to make note of how similar not just in physical uh, the characteristics of the creatures, but their behaviors, to the creatures we have here.
2: Exactly, very much so, and I, I want to do a quick shout out. <clears throat> excuse me to David in the UK. David has the exact same question. So David says, if a similar creature exists in Australia, what does that mean for their evolution? All the animals in Australia have evolved differently. So again, we got a couple of very sharp thinkers out there and good questions
3: what it would suggest is that the sasquatch came there much later um you know for there to be the the similarities there are between the creatures there and the creatures here you know they they must have spread out around the same time period i'm guessing you know for those to be that many similarities so the question is how did that happen we we don't know
2: we don't um we just know that it does <laughs>
3: right I, i'm just not ready to delve into too much speculation on it. i mean we could speculate till the cows come home but it doesn't really do a service to the topic um you know i, I guess maybe defer to uh, experts like in geology and and things like that you know to look back in the past to look at the i mean there there's some people that have written books on um, you know the last ice age and how low the sea levels were and and uh, how things could have moved around at that time.
2: Well, <clears throat> that's kind of what I was wondering a little bit. Was and I, I get the two of a mix up. But there's Gondwana land and Pangaea. The, you know, when everything was one big continent. Well,
3: that was way, way back. You're talking hundreds of millions of years. So
2: before anything. Okay. Right.
3: It, it'd be much more recent.
2: Well. That answers that.
3: See, what did John, <laughs> our anthropologist, say that that primates have been around, around I think, around seven million years, maybe a little longer. I can't remember exactly what he said last time we talked to him. But um, so it would be it would be something, you know, on that time frame or, or more recent.
2: All right. So we'll scratch uh, Pangea Gondwana land and yeah. just leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Al has a good question. He says, what's your theory on why Bigfoots are always walking up to people's buildings or trailers and slapping them? What purpose does it serve?
3: What I think it is, is they're they're trying to see how many people are there. They're trying to get a reaction. They're trying to gauge what's going on there in terms of humans.
2: Well, and if they're just, you know, wanting to have some fun, what better way to go in and, hey, watch this?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's not out of the question for us to do things like that. But <laughs> you I, want to hear
2: some in, screaming inside that house? Check this out.
3: <laughs> but I, I would guess there there's something going on in terms of you know it goes back to that numbers game. Uh, they're trying to figure out how many people are in that structure. You know, to see yeah. what they what they can or can't do. You know, in terms of their boldness.
2: Oh yeah. Well, and think about uh, Jerry that we just spoke with. Um, I mean, they were they were really rattling his cage i mean he they woke him up they scared his dog uh he's looking out the window and he's seeing these huge red eyeballs you know moving back and forth and, and
3: i tend to think that was a little bit more aggressive that was like the next level you know rather than the typical when they come up and slap a, a structure with their hand right um, that's kind of testing the waters i think what they did to jerry was the next step forward beyond that in terms of aggression.
2: Yeah. Well, and I guess he had been feeding them apples or something. He'd been kind of habituating them and he stopped and he stopped and they're like, where's the food? You know, you're not our friend. We just want the food. And we've heard that from folks
3: in the South, you know, that have been, that are willing to talk, that that's something that's passed down in in many families is, you know, things are out there. Don't feed them. Uh, and that's the reason because if you stop, you, you got real problems.
2: Right. Well, you know, it's it's funny, the uh, Park Service back in the 50s and maybe even up into the early 60s, used to encourage people to bring food and feed the bears. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) They actually did that. It's it's unbelievable, but they did. There's videos of it. And then they discovered, you know, it's not a good idea. And that was bears. And these things are smarter than bears. They're more capable. They're bigger, much more powerful. Oh, yeah, yeah. um, So that's a long-winded way of saying don't feed the Bigfoot.
3: Yeah, right. (laughs) Leave them all.
2: Yes, absolutely. Now, one of the questions here is... um, how and why are they able or do they mimic the sounds of other creatures in the forest
3: well that's a good reason i mean um i'm not really a behavioral specialist when it comes to you know what animals do in terms of sounds um it could be for a variety of reasons i mean um could be to try to fool the humans that are there. It's probably some form of communication. Um, my guess would be if they're communicating toward, with each other and doing it in a way that they're not alerting, say, game animals like deer. In other words, if they're making, let's say, uh, owl or coyote noises, a deer's probably, especially owls and things like that. And the coyotes, they might be a little bit more leery of because, you know, coyotes will chase deer, but uh, an owl... Is something that um you know is not really gonna bother deer and and elk and things like that much uh and it's probably a way that they're coordinating movements you know sort of like you know one one vocals the other one responds that way they know where each other are in conjunction with the with the hunt the game animals that would be my guess anyway I mean, it's pretty smart when you think about it—camouflaging yourselves as normal animals—and and the deer wouldn't know that it was a, an off. You know, we can pick up those subtleties, but a deer and elk—you know—they wouldn't know that. And bear and such a, such other animals.
2: Oops. Okay, I think my mic got switched off there. <laughs> <laughs> Apologize. I was just you know chatting away. Um, okay, so this is a um, this isn't exactly a question, but. This is uh, Danny uh, wrote in and he says this is in reference to something I saw two years ago in the spider crawl. Um, Would the elbows be at least at times behind uh, the back? Thanks, Danny. So two things, Danny, number one, if you saw one of these things, uh, just respond back to, you know, just rate us uh, on the same email address, questions at creekdevil.com. We'd like to hear more about it but uh i'm going to hand this question off to will
3: so what was his what was his question? there were a couple right. in there
2: yeah sorry about that so the reference is he said he saw something two years ago mm. in the spider crawl would the elbows be at least at times behind or above the back
3: i would think so i mean i i've never seen that so i don't know i mean we've talked to people that have seen it and I can't recall off the top of my head how they described or even if we got a description of where the elbows were. I, I would think so, though.
2: Yeah, I would, too. You know, we talked to Rob, and I think we went into that a little bit. The um, And when in Montana talked about it was like watching something go like a mechanic on a creeper, you know, a mechanic's creeper.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very unusual. And, of course, their design is different, very different than ours. So, um, yeah, I think people forget just because they walk upright like we do. Um, their proportions are very different. And their bone structure is different. So they can do things different than we can.
2: Well, <clears throat> and it also, think about it must be an incredible amount of strength to kind of walk on your fingers and toes. You know, I think about these martial arts guys practice doing the one-finger and the two-finger push-ups. And, you know, they have to really get in shape for years to do that. And these things are just walking around basically on toes and fingers, it sounds like, and just moving along in a very, very spooky way.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they do it on their toes and fingers. I mean, I I think there's more of their hand and feet involved in that than just toes and fingers. It may look like that, but it's probably... You know, there's probably more of those appendages you know actually making contact it's just weird angles
2: right. yeah I would um, <clears throat> yeah that's something I would love to see from inside of a car several hundred yards away <laughs> but not <binoculars. laughs> through a telescope <laughs> <you know. laughs> yeah uh, um, <clears throat> but you know, they do a lot of very, very strange things that uh, are just no other creature that I'm aware of, and the Wild Kingdom does that.
3: And I would think they don't do it that often. I mean, you know, we've had some reports of it, but, you know, in the grander scheme of things, they're they're not seen doing that very often.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we've only... I, I'm only aware of, like, one or two reports, maybe three at the most. I think,
3: I think I've, inter- I've interviewed two or three people that have seen that um there was the one gal who's from up here in Northern California she was in New Mexico and her and her daughter saw it across the road that way one of the creatures that was one and I'm trying to think there was somebody more recently too I think we we talked to and then there was there was a lady up in Washington who saw one too but she thought it was a bear but she didn't see it walking like that. She saw it, just, it was just down.
2: Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, <clears> and, throat> I, throat> and
3: I suspect that one was, you know, in a position, you know, they were stalking deer because there were deer present. And I'm pretty sure there were other creatures nearby. And the one that was down that she saw. And, and you know, when it spotted her looking at it, it stood up and walked away. That's where she knew it wasn't anything normal. It wasn't a bear. Uh, cause she saw it silhouetted against the sky. But, um, you know that one was probably just down, maybe it was in the maybe it was in the kill zone, you know when the others were driving the deer toward it who knows you know we don't know the right. larger picture of what was going on, but there were yeah you that's know, there's you know stories like those that uh are pretty much the only ones I can think of off the top of my head I, there I know there's another one more recently too, but I, I can't pick, remember which uh interview it was
2: well, let's see we had Wynn from Montana,
3: yeah, Wynn saw a moving like that too.
2: And, you know, Wynn's normally a pretty steady, even-keeled guy, and you could tell that that, even that creeped him out.
3: Right, right. Well, you know, (laughs) that and having the big chunk of firewood thrown at his truck, that wasn't fun either.
2: Right? (laughs) Well, and there's somebody that you know up there in Northern California that saw, saw, I guess he was a logger driving a log truck. And one of these things came out of the woods like a javelin, and just threw it at the truck.
3: Well, no, no. What happened? Actually, the person who told it, told me the story was a friend of mine up there, and he, it was a, a, the story was told to him about a log truck driver that worked for their company. And the guy was going down the road, and this thing had a, a small tree, you know, and he said it was, you know, I don't know, probably four inches or so thick, maybe maybe thicker. And it threw it down the road, and it sort of went end over end down the road at the truck. Oh, wow. And then the guy summarily quit his job and left, so.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you think about it, it's, I think it's different psychologically when you've had an interest in the topic and you've had information coming in, first hand reports, whatever, to sort of prep you for this versus you're driving along you don't think you, it's the last thing on your mind and then this thing comes out and does that
3: yeah when it happens just out of the blue I, and you know I, I go back to my own first encounter which was pretty much out of the blue the same way um, if you're not prepared for something like that there's uh, I, I don't even know if there is a way to prepare yourself for it
2: yeah well and somebody that we know uh, they they have um, the contact here in Oregon that the folks had their retirement home for 30 years. And the guy walked around the corner, and there's an 8-foot-1 standing right there looking at him, glaring at him. And the house went up on the market post-haste.
3: Yeah, I, I remember interviewing a guy. Man, I can't remember what part of the country he was in. I want to say Florida, but I could be wrong. And he he went outside. He was doing some remodeling on his house, and the thing was in the dumpster where he was throwing stuff. <laughs> hey, I don't remember. I don't think he sold his place, but uh, it was pretty unnerving that situation.
2: Really? So that must be like a semi, I not know, rural suburban or. Um...
3: Yeah, it was a pretty rural area. He had a big dumpster out there to throw, you know, lumber and whatever stuff he was taking out of the house into. And he went out there, and he'd thrown some garbage in there, food garbage, and went out to throw something out there one evening, and and one of these creatures was in the dumpster, to his surprise.
2: (laughs) And what do you do? I mean, your brain's got to be grappling for just a couple of seconds. Is this some idiot? Is this some guy in a suit?
3: Oh, no, he knew it wasn't a person. (laughs) In fact, we we interviewed him. It was some time ago, I want to say. Geez, I can't remember which episode I have to go back and look it was it was a while back
2: yeah that's, that's really got to be something though I mean it's I've seen bears you know when they're going through the dumpsters but to see one of these things would just be a shocker
3: and then there was you know there's stories there have been stories like that um, uh, you know over the years especially in garbage that's you know one of the first things I found when I moved to southern Washington years ago back in the 80s uh, and started doing research in that area and, and the person who pointed me in the right direction in that area because I didn't know the area at all and um, one of the uh, the photographer for the local newspaper who grew up in the area took me out showed me places where these things had been seen by locals and uh, one of the areas along the Washouga River in fact it was very close to where I had my second encounter in 1988 um, he said locals would go out there and party on the weekends and there was a lot of lot of garbage out there and the things would go down during the week and you know go through the garbage locals all seem to know that
2: wow that's (laughs) you know it's it's understandable if the the bears and the raccoons and stuff go through it but these creatures (laughs) yeah
3: And, and i've heard it in other places too um there was, uh, oh, geez, a story it, up in the area where um, near in Washington, there's there's a, um, oh, I don't know if the Seventh-day Adventist Church still owns the lake up there, but uh, there was a story from, geez, I want to say in the 70s, maybe the 60s, where they had uh, a place where they put their, their garbage, and, and I don't know if, what kind of containers, I never saw the containers or anything, but I was told by a person who lived up there. Um, that some of the the campers or you know the church people who were staying there on the weekend, teenagers, saw one of these creatures into the getting into the garbage.
2: Well, that'd be interesting to talk to them because that's that's got to be another one of those moments.
3: So it's it's a fairly common thing.
2: Well, and you've talked about I don't remember where it is, but there's a river uh, up in Washington when they have salmon runs. That the creatures are just very unabashed about coming out when people are right. on the riverbanks and these things come out and grab the fish.
3: Yeah, when they want food, they're going to get it. So <laughs> don't get in the way. <laughs> don't be the ham sandwich.
2: Right, right.
3: <laughs> um, <clears throat> we got a few minutes left in this part. Um, we had any more questions from listeners?
2: Well, we had one from. Uh, a gentleman here. He wanted to know. Question: Is it hair versus fur? What's the difference? Uh, no, no pun intended. But are we splitting hairs, or is there really a difference? Well, you between know,
3: hair and fur. It used to be, we went because I, I looked into it a while back, and I can't remember how long a while back was. It was a while ago, and and there was different descriptions of of hair and fur and. You know people trying to make a, a distinguishing difference and recently and it was a fairly recent article I read um, where they said that there really isn't a difference it's it's the same thing and I think what they were making a difference uh, where some animals have um, and I can't I just saw something on television recently um, there there are animals who live in the water. I mean, like otters and animals like that, right, that, that spend a lot of time in the water, and they have a couple different kinds of hair. You know, they have the guard hairs, and then, and the, and then the softer fur underneath that holds their body heat, right? One blocks the, the cold and the wet, and the inner keeps it dry and warm. Um, but the, uh, the, the research paper I read recently said there really isn't any difference. They're the same thing.
2: Oh, that's interesting, <clears throat> and I I wonder if it just I I usually would chalk it up to fur was short, kind of maybe fluffy, and then hair was long, but if it's the same thing, okay.
3: Yeah, I think it, I think it's just variation, you know, and and usage. You know, again, what you, you yeah. said, splitting hairs.
2: <laughs> well, we're splitting hairs, absolutely. Um, <clears throat>
3: so we're we're just about done with the questions on this piece we're, we're trying to change things up a little bit folks so um we're going to stop you know answering questions at this point for this particular show and we're going to um we're going to listen to rob and we we talked to him yesterday so we um we're going to put that on this piece here in just a moment but uh before we do and he was he wanted to talk about the patterson gimlin film and he was very well spoken very well educated so uh it, it was very interesting to hear from him so we want to invite you the listener uh, whatever you want to talk about you know by all means we, we'd love to hear from you and, and it doesn't matter if it's five minutes or half an hour you know if you want to record with us and and we can edit out things if you if there's something other you don't want on the recording we can edit that out uh, just let us know and uh,
2: but we'd
3: like to invite you on um, To discuss whatever it is you want to discuss
2: and the best way to do that is Always, <clears throat> excuse me questions at com. and I just want to make it clear. This is just for this segment We're doing this um, you know, the Q&A is over but absolutely keep the questions coming that keeps us on our toes and people love your questions. So the only question that is the wrong question is one that's not asked. So please send your questions and comments. You can comment in the, uh, you know, down below, but the questions, send those to questions at CreekDevil.com. And if you want to be on the show questions at CreekDevil.com.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're just gonna, we're just trying to add a little more content once in a while and do things differently so that, uh, you know we have some nice interesting things instead of it being the same thing all the time. Um, anything else you want to add before we um, have Rob
2: on here? Yeah, I just want to say thank you to everybody for listening to the show. And if you want to support the show, just go to patreon.com forward slash creek devil and you can support us that way.
3: And we're always looking for people to be on the show, witnesses. Um, we guarantee your anonymity so you know please get a hold of us we'd love to have you on so with that said everyone stand by and we'll bring Rob's piece on here in just a moment so Rob how are you doing today
1: oh fantastic Will beautiful day
3: well we're gonna kinda give you the microphone you wanted to come on here and chat with us Uh, what's on your mind
1: well, I, you know, of course, we've uh, known each other for a little while. And, of course, you know of my interest in uh, Sasquatch uh, for many years. And uh, the Patterson-Gimlin film was something that I, you know, has had a cursory interest. I want to kind of to talk a little bit as a former bodybuilder and kinesiologist about some of the things that I've seen in the PGI film. Of course, Muns and, you know, everyone has done so much uh, to contribute t- to the analysis of the film. And it seems as everyone says that better and clearer that the technology can make the film, of course, you know, um, the newer stuff you've seen where there's a kind of that grayscale analysis where you can really see the muscles bulging, what have you, I think has led to some tremendous, uh, you know, detail that we've all seen. Uh, and when you look at, the Patterson-Gimlin film that they've done up close, or you look at it up close in real speed, and you also look at it in real speed, a number of things you know, have come to mind to me and, is, as an amateur kinesiologist and former bodybuilder, a couple of things I wanted to bring up. Number one, as uh, we all know about you know Patty being female, we know about the breast undulation, we know about uh, things of that nature, but what I noticed when I looked at Patty initially years ago and in my initial analysis was that being a female, her her hips have the uh, hip, what they call the hip girdle, and the the way that the hips are around her in the back and then and in the sides, and then the way that her hips come down at sort of an angle, uh, and the lower hip joints. As she hears Gimlin uh, maneuvering and getting off the horse, as it gets to 352 couple of things are seen. Number one, uh, I initially stated that, uh, there is a neuromuscular contraction in the early frames before. And I was talking to Tom about this, that, uh, it's sort of like, Oh, you know, Oh, that, that horse is coming. I hear something, you know, from the right rear to the, to the left. But of course, if you're walking away from something, uh, many times, if you're trying to get away from, you know, something or somebody, you're going to keep moving forward, but you're going to make a, and in, in, your brain um, is going to make a decision to look to the right and look back. So your body has to prepare for that one, you know, that step, sort of a an imperceptible stutter step, and then a turn to the right as you're still walking forward. So your your weight uh, has to be able to be transferred and your uh, to, to going forward, but also looking backwards. The, the body will uh, prepare as it rotates. Uh, there is a contraction in the upper trapezius muscles up to the upper neck muscles in the right side. She flinches, it moves back. You can see the, the, uh, the mid, the mid trapezius or the mid back muscles uh, in the levator scapula on the right side, twitch a little bit, but also, and then, you know, she prepares to turn. There is the, uh, the feet and the legs are preparing for the weight to go down uh, on the left side. And I was talking with Tom about this. As she comes back and moves around, there's all that weight on the left side as the left leg straightens out. And you can see, if you really look, uh, ladies and gentlemen, not only do the quad, you know we, we've all seen that her right quad and the herniation there will, the muscle bulges, but on the left side, you'll see as her leg straightens out with all that weight, and Thomas said he thinks she weighs uh, more than than what I thought as that comes as she comes down the entire left leg all the way up into the left side seems to jiggle and shudder with the with the with that weight. and that's something I've only seen uh recently in looking at uh this close up with with better um a uh, better better clearer focus that they've been able to do and also at, at faster speeds because you have to look at it at kind of more real speed to to get that so that's kind of the the things that I wanted to kind of bring up there's, there's the, 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 preparing to turn, there's the turn. And then as she turns back, boom, that left leg comes around and also the right leg comes around in the hip area, very similar to a woman. And who would be thinking about that? If you look at, at, at ladies, as, as they move, the right hip joint is lower uh, and, and from the hip girdle, ball joint. And it, it moves in a circular, semi-circular motion, and who's going to think about that in 1967? Um, of course, you know we've looked at uh, uh, everyone kind of looked at her feet, and of course the toe digits with the more, uh, you know, the better resolutions we've seen. You know, the, the digits, which I find fascinating. Um, so you see, at 12:40, it's 7:27, uh, 7:32. Uh, one sees Patty's legs move, but her 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 legs stay straight the right rear. And then, um, so the she prepares in the locomotion. So that's kind of my thoughts, uh, to talk about. And and those were things that have convinced me that the film is real and that this is a real creature. Um, in addition to all the other things that, that, that men have men have kind of said, um, of course, who, who would think in a suit to wear the, from, um, as, as the hand goes up and back and up and back, we see the wear marks on the butt and on the, on the side, uh, you know, as her, as her, arm comes down and, and, and swings through her rib cage. And that's, that's something else as well that I found fascinating. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts on it, guys here. I mean, we can talk about other things that we see in this uh, film. And, Rob, uh, I want to
2: jump in for a second <clears throat> real quick. You mentioned what your professional background is. Yeah. You have many of them, but the one regarding, Bodybuilding, Um, explain a little bit what your background is on that and how that has helped you to articulate and understand what you see in the Patterson-Gilman film.
1: Certainly. Um, I was a bodybuilder for 25 years, and then I trained professional bodybuilders in Venice, and I took two years of kinesiology in college. And the muscles, as you're preparing to flex, uh, to the advanced bodybuilders become very pronounced in the upper trap area of the upper neck from about C5, C6 to C2, and then down uh, to, to the rest of the bones in the, in the L, uh, lumbar, and then well, excuse me, the thoracic on down. And you could see, we've all seen her muscles flexing as she rotates back and forth and moves her arms. But what I was principally uh, fascinated with was her neck muscles, and how they twitched as she's preparing to, to, to move, uh, to, to, to look back at frame uh, 352. And I believe that the, you can see neuromuscular contractions similar to the way a horse will uh, have those contractions. If you, if you have a horse and all of a sudden the ears will, the, the neck will flinch and then the ears will go back. Patty seems to uh, hear, hear uh, Gimlin on his horse is running from right to the left. And she's saying, oh, I'm still getting out of here, but I'm going to look back. Like, what is that? And there's some noise that makes her involuntarily, involuntary, a neuromuscular contraction. And that is very hard to create uh, in a suit, if not impossible. In 1967, I dare say it would be almost impossible to do today, unless you have CGI. And uh, so that's, that's kind of uh, when, you're, when you study locomotion, uh, when you study locomotion in terms of tennis players or other types of, People, bodybuilders in motion, uh, the flexing of the muscles, of course, and posing. These are things that, uh, you know, you're, you're aware of, especially when you're, you're doing heavy back back exercises, which I did for 25, 30 years.
2: Rob, what was the, um, I want to back up a little bit. How did you get interested in the Patty film? And then you did it, you just sort of on your own kind of did your own analysis, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, the biomechanics of, mm-hmm. of of all of her actions. Tell us a little bit Bigfoot. about why did you what 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 drew you to Bigfoot? Bigfoot.
1: Uh you know of course we're all drawn in and you know I was drawn in the 70s and the 80s like other people of course Leonard Nimoy and in search of and and other kinds of things but when I saw the Patterson-Gimlin film I was thinking how can I disprove this okay and the more I looked into trying to find scenes or hems or other things and disprove it the more I would look at the fact that the, the musculature and the, and the muscle mass would move. So as a bodybuilder who, who has, I developed, you know, huge muscle mass in my own body um, and been around very large professional bodybuilders, the quads, the, 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 uh, the, trapezius muscles, the huge back muscles, these things move and flex in a particular way in a, in a living breathing creature, um, especially, you know, a primate uh, or primate like of this sort of type uh we can see her calf muscles move um and there were ways that I was trying to, to disprove patty um you know why isn't her but, but, buttocks uh moving not flexing or something like that in a particular way but then in other angles you do see flexing the uh, the buttocks um very much so uh from from the rear uh the re- as, as patty is walking away as as uh, Patterson shot Um, Patty from the rear and that's very interesting, but because she is a female, the way that, that her musculature, the way her buttocks, the way her hip girdles, the way her hips move is all different and very akin to females. If you see in female bodybuilders or any, any female athletes. And that's when I started to zero in plus the neuromuscular contraction of Gimlin getting off the horse and the way she prepared. And then recently uh, which prompted my phone call to you guys, is as she comes down after 3.52, as she turns forward, there's a massive weight. Well, I always look on the right side, but if you look on the left side, and we were talking about it the other day, Tom, there is a shock and a shudder.
3: That hey, hey, me, hey, Rob. Where it
1: was like, oh, this is this has to be real.
3: Hey, Rob, just a minor correction. That was Patterson, not Gimlin. Gimlin never got off his horse. I, I only bring it up because listeners will say right. stuff about it. So.
1: Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Um Sorry, you know. Well, Gimlin was on the horse covering Patterson, correct? And and Patterson uh, Patterson got off his horse, correct? But I but Gimlin stayed on his horse with his um his rifle, and he, he brought his rifle out of the scab scabbard. But didn't Gimlin say he got off for a brief moment, or no? He never did no, that. No, no, and he and he said he, he never, was
3: gonna... and he said he never actually pointed the rifle at the creature.
1: Correct. He said he never pointed the rifle at the creature. Right? No, I was not uh, insinuating that, but I was yeah. saying that. But he was. Loaded. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. And because the only reason bring it up, yeah, the only reason I bring it up is listeners will 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 hear complaints, so <laughs> we got to make sure we're correct.
1: No, 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 no. Okay, no, I understand. Um, but there was there was that uh, impetus to make her turn back to the right, and uh, and I, I, also we don't know what was it the horses because the horses had bolted. Correct. Now I don't know if the horses bolted. After frame 352 or before, I think they bolted before, but there might have been some other things that made her want to look back to the right. But it was certainly Gimlin riding over to you know from right to the left, and the way that her 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 neuromuscular her, her neurologically she through her ears is perceiving this to happen, and then the way that there were contractions to look back and then go forward is kind of what proved it for me, and that's uh, in addition to hearing. And reading you know run Roger Met Patty and all of the all of the stuff over the years that, uh, that Munns and and uh, everybody has talked about
2: Rob, you said you have talked to Bill Munns, is that right?
1: That's correct, I have yes, I've never talked to Dr. Meldrum, but I talked to Bill Munns, and I have also um, you know corresponded with him and sent him my ideas uh over over the years off and on. He's a heck of a gentleman, and of course uh, I have worked in Hollywood, um, myself, off and on in production, but certainly not in science fiction. But I am quite aware that, you know, with his, his uh, reputation in the industry and all the things we've seen, um, 1967, uh, 2001 was the state of the art, uh, according to Bill. And, uh, you know, of course, those, those types of creatures don't even begin to look like Patty. Um, how could you have made... Patty worked that way, but how would you, if you're Hieronymus and those guys, how would you have known to create the wear marks in the rib cage and in the right thigh? Um, it just there's so many things that the, the feet and the digits in the feet. How can you create the flexing of the hand as it comes up and down? Uh, but to me, it was the neuromuscular contractions and the weight uh, of the flesh as as she moves up uh, down. As a as a former bodybuilder and trainer, that to me can't be. It can't be uh, duplicated. I don't think it can be duplicated today. Not not in that kind of reality, unless it's CGI.
2: No, I have to agree with you 100%. And this really goes back to, you know, I've had people comment, well, gosh, um, you know, it was somebody in a monkey suit, not not Patty specifically, but any kind of a sighting. And I've talked to folks who said, you know, I said, well, it, uh, you know, if you want to see one, um, I can take you out to where they're at. And, uh, you know, chances are that we possibly could see one you certainly get some encounters well you're just going to have somebody out there with a monkey suit well i could do that that would be real expensive and a hassle and it's going to look like somebody in a monkey suit however right when you see the real thing it speaks for itself everything you that you just talked the shoulder,
1: about yeah how do you create the shoulder muscles the calf muscles the buttocks mo- motion um, the hip girdle, uh, the breasts, all the things that go to feminine structure. Why would you go through that effort in 1967 to create a costume that way? And how could you have done that? And how could you do the flexing of toes and the individual digits on the toes? You couldn't do that. You couldn't do that in Planet of the Apes. Yeah. You know, couldn't do that. Could you do it today? I don't think so now. Not, not that I know of. And, uh, you know, so why, and then how, how the back hair goes into the buttocks, my issue of trying to disprove it was the buttocks area looking at her. And then the more I looked, I'm like, well, gee, it looks like maybe there's a separation between the upper hip and the lower hip joints. And I looked at that and I looked at that and I looked at that. And then (laughs) I was in a gym and I was looking at female bodybuilders and I was like, oh. When women flex a particular leg or their legs straighten out, they have the same distance area between the upper and the lower hips that create that little it looks like a little like a spacing area. I don't know if I'm describing it well, but it looks like almost like a uh, not curved anymore, but it's straight, and the hip comes down, and it looks like there's a space between the upper hip and the lower and the lower like right hip, and Patty's got that. Well, who would think about that in 1967? In other words, I was trying to disprove it by looking at the space. And then by seeing other women that had the space, I went, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm describing what I'm what I'm meaning to say. But if you ever see, you know, take a look at women's anatomy. And I don't want to be um, you know, purient on this, but you will see in the hip joint, the, the pelvic girdle, then the hip joint, the hip and the lower hip joints you will see in in some, some females, a space between those areas as when she steps or when she steps up as she locomotes. And Patty has the same thing. And that's, well, I was trying to disprove it by there and saying, oh, well, that's, that's a space where the, the muscles and the locomotion are not working correctly. That's when I said, oh, I've seen it in women where it looks like the flesh isn't working together in the way you're supposed to be thinking. I know this is hard to describe, I know, in a podcast, but I hope I'm making myself clear. I don't know if I am.
2: Well, what you're saying is to build a suit, that that if, if Patty was a suit, it would take somebody who was a specialist in anatomy and the technology that simply did not exist back then and may not even exist today.
1: Correct. And in talking to Bill, I'm absolutely convinced that's true. Um, But then thinking of it as a woman and looking at all the things about a woman, um, just all the things. uh, Also, the way Patty's um, neck, uh, after she looks back, how her neck rotates back is very ape-like, very primate-like, I'll say, uh, to where it comes down and switches and moves back like that. If you've seen people in fursuit, it's hard to duplicate that
2: movement, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I think it's, to do all that, it's actually a lot easier to just go out and film Patty, the real thing, than to try to recreate it, right?
1: Right, and how's Hieronymus going to come down on the left side of that left foot in such a way that it looks like it's several hundred pounds coming down on that sandbar. And if you folks, if you look at the, you look at the PGI film in, 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 all different speeds and in, in, in all different clarities that you can find on the internet, you'll find some, you know, real-time speed for all of a sudden, she not where it's so speeded up but where she's walking real speed as she comes down, boom, as she's working, oops, I'm, oh, I'm here. I hear the horse, I move, I take almost a little kind of a stutter step, and it's almost imperceptible, but tr- everybody try it at home. Try walking forward, here's something to the right, and you're going to twist one, boom, hoop back. And when you straighten out your left leg, you're going to have almost a shock absorber effect. It's going to go, it's gonna go your, your knee joint's going to go boom, boom. It's going to have a double rebound where it's readjusting itself neuromuscularly. Does that make sense? Am I making myself clear?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. You and I talked about this real time while we're both looking at the film.
1: So as you're moving forward, people look back and then boom, your left leg, as you're looking, you look back and as you look, you're preparing to look forward, your left leg is going to come out. It's going to straighten, but it's going to straighten bent. And then it's going to straighten up as you're moving over it. And you see that in the film and you see in real time, the realness of of the flesh and the bone and the muscle, and that's what proved it for me, and that's uh, prompted the call.
2: Wow, that's great. Well, that's what I find interesting, Rob, is the fact that you took your area of specialty and expertise, and you applied that knowledge towards the film, and that's what you know. That's that's what brought you to the conclusion. That you're at now, real quick. Well, um, caloric intake. What are the caloric intake requirements for if you're a bodybuilder and you're you know you're trying to bulk up? Um, what would be a good kind of a, a round figure for a daily? Ten
1: to fifteen thousand calories. 10 really? To fifteen
2: thousand. That's yeah. a lot.
1: Five. It's a lot. Five thousand on the you know on, on the low end uh, if you're not training heavy, but when you're training. Ten to 15,000, and then um, preparing for a contest, you're going to lean out a little bit, and you have to know how to do it. Um, but, again, bodybuilding has changed over the years where guys are not bulking up. You know, it used to be get, get a lot of muscle, get kind of a lot of muscle, and then drain the water out of yourself and try to create the muscle. Today, bodybuilders are, you know, a little bit more leaner in terms of their, their, uh, their fat uh, ratio and their uh, body mass indexes and the density. So it's a different time today in the way they're training. Um, and they use supplements to kind of drain the water out and lean out a little bit, lean out and 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 have the muscles and the and the veins and get what we call muscularity.
2: you You've so, talked about the uh, <clears throat> Patty's anatomy, everything except her arms. Talk a little bit about what you and I discussed yesterday about uh, the length of her arms and also just the the structure, the the muscular structure of her arms.
1: Correct. The brachial muscles are very, very much like a primate in that they're not like a human, okay? The way that, uh, in other words, the, the muscle that comes uh, in, in the forearm from the bicep down is much more ape-like than human-like. Uh, of course, the length of the forearm, as, we, as we've studied from uh From everybody from Munz and everyone and uh, Dr. Meldrum, everybody' has studied this film, you folks, of course, the form is longer uh, we've seen the hands are different, right the the opposable thumb is more forward, different at uh, different structures of the hands, and the way that the elbow moves is different. Her biceps are unique and different um, and, the, you know, and that's kind of what I've seen in her arms, the, the upper arm, the shoulders, uh, the side, you know, muscle in the trapezius, the side deltoids. Um, but, of course, the, the back muscles on Patty, even though, and I, I don't think Patty, I mean, I don't know if Patty may be older than other Sasquatches that I've been seeing, you guys would know this, or that Patty, you know, uh, uh, other people have postulated Patty had a child. And or just maybe had a child or what have you, and maybe she wasn't in, you know, quote unquote, tip top shape as a sasquatch, or maybe she was older, and that's why she was much bigger. Um, getting into my later years, we all have a few pounds on us, and maybe Patty is an older type sasquatch. I don't know. Um, well, I
2: think that's where I'm going to defer a little bit to Will. He's got some some information on. Patty's movements, and I don't remember the dates um, where her footprints were actually found, I believe up in Oregon, a number of years after the Patterson it was, film.
3: It was actually, well, yeah, nobody knows the age, I mean, because that was 1967. And DeHinden told me, Rene DeHinden said that um, the same creature's footprints were found up near the California-Oregon border in 1980, and that was the last time they were seen.
1: Wow. So there you have it. That's 13 years later. Right. So maybe Patty was early middle age. Yeah, who um, knows?
3: There's no way of knowing.
1: Who knows? And uh, have you folks been able to ascertain through all your sources how long do they think they live? Uh, maybe 45, 50 years would be my guess.
3: Yeah, it's it's probably similar to other large primates.
1: And, of course, uh, Tom was postulating that, uh, you know, I, I was saying based upon my just understanding being around very large people that she was – anywhere between four to 700 pounds. And Tom was saying, no, if she's seven foot four, that's what people think she was, right, that she's closer to double that or triple that because of the bone density.
3: Yeah, it, it's difficult to say. I mean, it's they originally thought 300 pounds, but you know, Patterson no. walked his 1,200-pound horse next to the tracks. The tracks were about an inch or so deep, and the horse didn't sink anywhere near that much.
1: Right. And, uh, and they've tried to do height analysis of her but the size of her and then they did who uh, was it um, uh, 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 Titmuth, uh and, and who uh, was it John Green also doing walking or who was it it was a gentleman doing walking right after like a couple weeks later and they did a size comparison well between his height
3: and here's here's a good way to estimate height and you do it off the footprints and everybody does it by you know using a, a known, Object like a person walking through a situation, and um, our good friend John, who's a forensic anthropologist. <laughs> okay, um, there was an anthropologist by the name of John Napier from England, he was on loans to the Smithsonian in I, geez, I it was either late 60s or early 70s, but he came up with a formula. So, you what you do, and and John, our forensic anthropologist, said it's actually a very good way to calculate height based off footprint length. So you take the overall length, which with the Patterson Sasquatch was 14 inches, and you multiply it, that length, 14 inches times 6.6, and then divide it by 12, and it comes out to 7 feet 7 inches. So that's, he said, that's a pretty good estimate for height but using footprints.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So she was taller than than what uh seven foot four right is what some of the other measurements been done, yeah and, and then she could be she could be well over eight hundred to a thousand
2: pounds, sure or more sure could be yeah well, we don't talk She's about late. ladies' weight here on this show so. <laughs> <laughs> right
1: on and uh so you know that's you know I mean everybody's contributed to the film um you know, and I was you know we we've talked about you know everybody has contributed things from the digits. To you know, the gentleman in, in Australia talked about Patty's arm creating the the uh, the worn areas along you know the right side of her hips and into her, her rib cage. Very interesting. Looking at her butt from the rear it looks very much primates. If you look at if you look at uh, gorillas and they walk the the butt and the way it kind of rounds in the corner and the fact that she's a female, um, you know. I was saying, okay, what are the things that are possible to see? the way, the hip joints are and structures. The the calf muscles uh, are very telling. Um, the feet uh, look very much like primates. That, I mean, the, the, and then the, of course the thing is, is, you get really close up the, the 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 toes are just stunning if you can get a good look at those. Um, but also her her muscles that move you can't, it's hard, you know, as as Bill Munn said, it's hard to create muscle moving in 1967. And as, um, you know, Mr. Gimlin said, uh, I saw her muscles moving in her back through her shoulders and her back as she's moving. And when you see, you you get Patty moving, you know, close up in real time. That's why I was saying you try to get, um, you can look at it frame by frame, but when you see her moving in real time, all of a sudden she comes alive to you the muscles are moving. And then the left side, as she, as she twists back that, that just says it to me, that can't be, that can't be done in the 1st suit. two, can't be done in the first suit today, even with all the different types of, you know, I mean, as, as Bill Munn said in his book, you know, we've got foam, you've got different types of foam, you've got, you know, more, more advanced stuff today to create um, that kind of stuff. But foam does not, you know, show muscles, I mean, case in point. Look at Hans and Franz on uh, Saturday Night Live, and they put the the foam, and they go, "Oh, pump you up." Well, you can tell not, those aren't real muscles. And yeah, that's exactly uh, it, right.
2: You know, you brought up a, an interesting point. Uh, seeing the how Bob described seeing the uh, muscles flex, and he saw this, and really looking back on on for, as far as eyewitness accounts go. It's it's stellar. It's still the top one. I mean, a lot of people get them, you know, they're driving by the road or they see one, you know, they walk around the side of the barn, bam, there it is. But these guys got it. I don't know how many seconds it was, but they got to see the creature and they got to see it moving and then, you know, like you said, Giblin saw the muscles moving and that's that's really a uh, a spectacular sighting.
1: In the high-res Patterson PGI film, you can see it. And that's another telltale. And again, uh to go back to Hieronymus, okay, as he's trying to demonstrate the patty walk, uh, he can't do it. Number one. And number two, he doesn't he doesn't bend his legs like she was, and he can't extend his left leg like she was as he's turning. I know he's older and all that, but still he can't demonstrate the walk because he wasn't there doing it. <laughs>
3: Well, I remember what Bill we had Bill on for two up uh, two uh, episodes of the show some time ago, and he talked about, uh, and I think it was Bill that did this because we had a few people who knew about some of that background, but I'm pretty sure it was Bill um, that Hieronymus may very well believe that he's looking at himself in that film, but he's actually not, because Patterson had made another film with him, and. He, you know, and, and Bill made a good point. He says, you know, actors don't know what they look like when they're wearing a suit until later mm-hmm. if they're shown a film. So he may believe that that's him in that, but that in actuality, uh, it was in an, in some footage that was never shown and, and lost. So there may be two different things going there. He might be honest when he's saying that, but that's not him on the Patterson-Gimlin film.
1: And how are you going to, in 1967, create technology that'll flex
3: um, you wouldn't in you know, 67, 67, you know, planet of the apes was state of the art. And, and when you look at those costumes, they wore clothes on the, on the apes. And the reason they did that is because they, those suits in 67 were very cumbersome and they didn't have the technology to make a, a zipper that was good enough to hold the in in the back. That's where the the actor entered the suit was from the back and they had these big mm-hmm. metal fasteners. So, they had to cover them up. That's why they wore clothes.
1: Wow. Yeah. I, I think that's, uh, that's also a telling thing. So, I mean, uh, uh, and, and the, the way the muscles move, can't do it in a suit. Uh, the way that the legs bend, can't do it in a suit. The way that the muscles, as she's coming down, demonstrate mass. Only bodybuilders I've seen and only with big, powerful, heavy men, you know, weighing 300 pounds, 270, 265 pounds. Huge, massive quads. Um, I had quads like that. My muscles would move just like that, because when you when you lift for 25 years, every muscle move as you as you undulate and you move. And that's why I did it. Um, so that's you know that's kind of kind of where I am, guys. But everything looks anatomically perfect from that standpoint, from an analytical standpoint. I can't see uh, I can't see human human form in that form factor. Uh, and as she moves, and she comes down, I think the skin and I think the skin and the muscles and the bone are quite obvious in some very high res. And I I am really looking forward to um, Bill Mon's getting that four strip and then really doing some grayscale or different scale analysis. I think that would be incredibly telling. But you know, I'm convinced from that standpoint that it's hard to duplicate this in 1967 technology, and that's just you know. Uh, what i have to say and
2: well rob kind of- when bill when bill does get that film we're going to have you on the show if that's okay and it will just be the four of us and we'll uh we'll discuss the topic
1: oh that would be my honor gentlemen thank you very much i'm certainly a neophyte well i want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to you know i'm an avid listener uh we love creek devil and uh can't wait for the next episode guys
2: Well, we really appreciate having you on, and uh, we're going to have you back on again in the future. Really, really do want to thank you today. Thank you, guys. And we've
3: always got time for you, Rob. Thank you, Will. Take care, guys.
0: Welcome. These eight stories are a collection being brought to you by William Jevening, and are being narrated by me, Jim Sower. Story 1. Sasquatch Story. Sonoma County, California. Sonoma County, California. Just a story. Terrifying screams heard. No sighting. July, 1980. Well, I have collected enough information from various Bigfoot sites about screams to conclude that I heard a Sasquatch on a bicycle-touring trip from Portland, Oregon to Santa Barbara, California in the summer of 1980. My girlfriend and I arrived at Fort Ross Historical Park north of Jenner, California, in Sonoma County on an evening in mid-July. We decided to camp there at Fort Ross, as it was marked as a campsite on our map, but it had no campsites. There was no one at the main house nor around the fort old Russian fur trading fort, or on any part of the grounds. We rode to a campground further south, but it was too expensive. We decided to ride back to Fort Ross. We camped to the left of the upper parking lot under some Monterey Pines next to a picnic bench. We ate dinner and went to bed at around 9 p.m. At approximately 1 a.m., a scream 20 feet to the left of the tent —our heads were facing the ocean— "'a blood-curdling scream of various sounds in succession "'that lasted at least nine seconds. "'It frightened me to my bone marrow. "'I froze in fear, knowing that whatever made the sound was huge. "'It was so close I could hear the tremor in its throat. "'Since I'm a musician, I realize how much force it takes "'to make a sound that loud. "'I've also been camping all my life, "'and have heard various animals, but this was different.' I have been told it was a bear or a mountain lion, but I don't think so. Anyway, my girlfriend said in a whisper, What the frick was that? I started to reach for a flashlight, and her hand grabbed my wrist with a vice-like pressure so I didn't move. We remained frozen, listening to every little noise for an hour. Incidentally, there were sheep running free everywhere, going, ba ba. Bah! bah and they didn't stop making noise when the scream occurred. Finally, my girlfriend fell asleep, and I remained on guard with my hands hovering around the tent pole to use as a weapon, thinking that at any moment it would stick its fanged head into our tent. At around 2.30 a.m., I guess, I heard another scream down by the fort in the lower parking area. I figured it wasn't coming back, so I fell asleep. It didn't occur to me the next morning that it was a Sasquatch, so I didn't look for footprints, nor did I hear it walking the night before. This is the end of story one. Story number two. A story from Tehama County, California. Summer, 1977, 12 o'clock a.m. No sighting, just an odd occurrence. Nearest town, Chester, Highway 36 at Lost Creek Road. Willow Springs Campground in the Mount Lassen National Forest. Directions, take Highway 36 out of Red Bluff, then Wilson Lake Road to First Right. The road number is 29 North 18. It leads right into Willow Springs Campground. Lassen National Forest at 530-595-4444. My grandpa, my uncle, and I had been working in the area picking up sugar pine and digger pine cones for about three days or so and had planned on being there for around a week. We were camped in a lower campsite in this campground just off the main cinder road coming by the camping area. I remember the camp was right next to a creek and each night we would hear the deer coming down to the creek to water and would occasionally shine our flashlights and see them drinking. One particular night... We were sitting around, relaxing, and I commented that it was strange that we didn't hear any deer in the creek. In fact, I don't recall even hearing any crickets or any of the usual nighttime noises. There was a group of people camped above us about 100 yards or so up the hill, and they hadn't been there camping as long as we had. The three of us could hear the people in the camp talking and such. Then it was quiet Suddenly, someone in the upper camp shouted, "'Hey!' Then some loud talking, and then this growl, scream noise. It was very loud and sounded as if it came from a fairly large animal. My uncle and I looked at each other, asking each other what the heck that noise was, and we looked at my grandpa, who was smiling and chuckling, which I found to be very odd, unless it was to cover up being frightened himself." My grandpa was a retired logger from Oregon. My uncle had also spent considerable time in the woods working as well as hunting most of his life. I had spent a lot of time in the woods, also hunting and working for my uncle, but had never heard a sound like that, nor had the rest of us. My grandpa said he thought it was probably a bobcat or cougar, but my uncle and I had never heard any animal make that kind of sound not to mention the fact that those animals will most likely stay away from a loud camp and may venture closer when it is dark and quiet. Anyway, while we were wondering what the first noise was, there began a lot of hollering and another loud growl scream from the upper camp, vehicle doors slamming and then the vehicle took off down the road, tires throwing cinders. They were out of there but fast. We, my uncle and I, were shaken up. "'but too proud to admit it to my grandpa. "'We didn't hear anything else from the upper camp. "'Nothing. "'I don't know if they left anything up there, but, "'or how they were camped, or anything. "'I do know that they didn't come back. "'We went to bed as it was getting late, "'and I was so afraid to make any sound, "'fearful that it would hear me breathing "'and come into camp to investigate. "'We left a couple of days later.' but I don't recall hearing a deer in the creek in the evenings after that night. All of the information given here is to the best of my recollection. As for the terrain, it was heavily wooded pine forest, quite a bit of brush around the creek area. That's the end of story number two. Story number three. Weaverville, Trinity County, California. A young grocery clerk in Weaverville, Trinity County, "'took me to a point at which he came upon a light-colored Sasquatch "'during the winter of 1994. "'It was not far from Big Bar Ranger Station, "'where he and his girlfriend used to park and neck after work. "'Engaged in some heavy petting, "'they were interrupted by the rocking motion of his Chevy Camaro. "'They looked around, thinking it was one of their friends "'or other kids screwing around with them, "'but the windows were pretty fogged up. "'There was little visibility.' Determined to confront the intruder, the young fellow bounced out of the Camaro, screaming, Knock it off! in a most assertive tone, only to find himself face to face in the pitch dark with a hulking figure he described as a bit taller than he was. Stunned, the kid backed up into the open car door, unable to move. He said the Bigfoot, with his left fist, wailed on the roof of his Camaro, beating it at least three times, but barely denting it. "'I heard it breathing. "'Man, I'm telling you, it was alive. "'Scary blankety-blank. "'I heard it breathe.' "'The informant called to his girlfriend inside the car, "'in what she later described as three octaves higher "'than his usual voice, telling her to lay on the horn. "'Upon hearing the sound of the horn, "'the Sasquatch sidestepped, backing away from the car, "'and stared at the kid. "'I couldn't see his eyes or facial features.' but it was clear he was facing me and looking at me. Even as dark as it was, he was only lit up by the car door light. The terrified kid said he got in the car, locked the doors, started the engine, and did a quick U-turn on Big Bar Dump Road. Amazingly, he said the Sasquatch followed them up the road where it turns onto Corral Bottom Road, keeping pace with the car for several hundred feet before trailing off where they could no longer see it. I spoke with the two informants at J.C. Cafe in Junction City for more than two hours. Their account never wavered, and they still showed great fear in recalling the event. The female witness never actually saw the creature, but said she heard its raspy breathing. It was evidently too dark to get much of a description other than what he could see of the creature, illuminated by the Camaro door's light. He knew right away what he was looking at, but in the shock of the moment he was able to distinguish little. Responding to my question, did you see reflection from its eyes in the car light? He replied there was no color or light emitted from its eyes. There was no smell from the creature, and he could not tell if it was male or female, only that it was this humongous dark towering image that he could hear breathing quite heavily and with angry intensity. He said it kept pace with his Camaro to about 20 miles an hour. Then it trailed off, but he wasn't sure of his speed. His girlfriend, amazed by it all, only saw a blurred image through the foggy windows. A happy ending to this story, though. The Amherst couple are now married and expecting twins. This is the ending of story number three. Story number 4. Late at Night, Canada In June 1996, chief editor of Animal Watch, Alex Michael, wrote of her encounter with Sasquatch in volume number 1, issue number 10. I thought to copy the article here as I found it one of the more chilling accounts I have read, and educational as well. Late at Night by alex michael a true story my family has always been notorious for doing things at odd hours and as you may well know the strangest things always happen late at night it was an unusually warm autumn some years ago and at 16 years of age i had just finished a summer job as an arts and crafts camp counselor the only thing left to do was pick up a rather large trunk filled with my belongings. Unable to fit such a large trunk inside the V.W. Beetle I had purchased just a few weeks before, my mother was volunteered to transport it from the mountains back to the city in the larger of the family cars. Summer camp was a very wild place for me, with staff partying every night until the wee hours of the morning. My room was near the entrance of the staff residence where all these parties took place. By late July... "'Sleep-deprived party wimps like myself were weeded out, "'so I built a single mattress-sized platform in the woods "'and then covered it with polyplastic. "'Beau Valley, Provincial Park, "'an undisturbed protected forest "'was only a stone's throw away. "'It is there that my mother, "'a small dog named Willow, and myself, "'were going to retrieve my trunk "'at three o'clock on a Monday morning.' "'Why three in the morning?' Well, "'I could say it was the heat, "'but it was mostly because my father had not yet been told "'that the car would be leaving town. "'There was also my adolescent fear "'that knowledge of the platform construction "'would somehow reflect itself in a summer paycheck "'I had not yet received. "'My mother had to be at work by 6.30, "'so we had less than an hour to complete this covert action.' as we approached the highway turn-off, a sliver of the moon cast a glowing border around southwestern Alberta's Mount Yamnuska. Driving several miles along the gravel road, the camp looked deserted. Summer staff had cleared out several weeks before, and a handful of permanent staff were either taking days off in the city or asleep in cabins several miles from the summer campsite. Angling off on the side of the road, my mother left the headlights on. "'pointing into the trees. "'There was some discussion about taking "'the twenty-pound dog named Willow for protection. "'However, Willow's track record for wandering off severely threatened a successful completion of the mission. "'Plus, very uncharacteristically, "'the dog named Willow now refused to get out of the car "'and was partially hidden under the driver's seat. "'Car headlights were of no value "'after the first few seconds of meandering through the forest. "'We had a flashlight.' but I was having difficulty remembering the exact location. The 15-minute walk turned into a 30-minute skin-scraping bushwhack, but finally we arrived at the isolated platform, even though the flashlight batteries were now dead. I assured my mother all that needed to be done was to take down the polyplastic rain cover and carry back a mattress and the trunk. It should only take two trips. She was noticeably silent, as we began working in the darkness. My mother began untying strings, securing the poly to the ground, and I was kneeling on top of the four-foot-high platform, stretching up to reach some tangled binder-twine knots tied to a tree. A pungent smell suddenly flooded the air. My eyes moved from the knots to the tall length of plastic, there, distorted through the semi-transparent poly, was a huge shadow only about seven feet away. With the four-foot platform and me kneeling on top, the creature was easily at eye level. A split second later, there was an incredibly loud screaming roar. Although I know of nothing to describe it, the sound was like a peacock scream, a bear growl, and a lion's roar, all somehow combined. "'I can't tell you if I screamed. "'I can't tell you much of anything, "'other than my eyes continued to peer through the plastic "'at this massive shadow. "'My five-foot-three-inch-tall mother "'had somehow leaped into the air "'and was now up on the platform beside me. "'Whatever it was, finally turned and walked slowly away "'on its long behind-feet. "'We continued watching as each heavy step "'could be heard contacting the ground.' There were no visible ears, just a sparse mohawk-like fringe sprouting up from the tapering top of the creature's head. From behind, the upper body appeared massive. It continued to walk upright until disappearing into the trees. We stayed on top of the platform, motionless, for some time after. Then, finally, I started ripping down the plastic. I have no idea what my mother did during the next forty or fifty seconds, but my next memory was power-walking through the forest, balancing a single mattress on top of my head with one hand and carrying the handle of the trunk in the other. I assumed my mother was holding up the other end of the trunk. With Willow still hidden under the driver's seat, it was a very quiet drive home. Late at night, they say that your mind can play tricks on you, but I am so certain Brown Bears had been in the area that summer but I have never seen a bear walk upright that smoothly for that long a time. Or could it have been a very large, long-furred man standing over seven feet in height? I say man because intuition tells me that the creature was a male. Could it have been a Sasquatch that night? I will never really know for sure, but you can bet that I will keep telling the story as if it were. This is the end of story number four. Story number five. Logan Lake, British Columbia, Canada. Nearest big city, Kamloop. The informants, a man and his wife, were not too far from me camping in the summer of 2000, and during their stay they were experiencing some rather frightful events. The reason they contacted me was because they had come across my sighting "'and because theirs happened so close, "'they wanted to talk to me. "'They were camping for two weeks, "'and during this time their food was being taken "'and even some clothes were missing. "'They thought maybe coyotes or even bears, "'but one morning after hearing something "'in the campsite during the night, "'they woke up to find everything "'tossed around the campsite. "'Even the guy's boat on a trailer "'was moved a few feet. "'One night in particular,' Something hit the side window and broke it, and in the morning they found a large rock sitting there in the dirt. On another night, they said it sounded like a few people were outside their camper mumbling. Jill said it was like someone had their mouth full of food. I pictured the Sasquatches eating all their food and trying to talk to each other. After that morning incident, they cleaned up and had breakfast, when Jill had noticed bare footprints just off to the side of their camper, and they said it was obvious to them by the size of the prints that the visitor during the night had to be a Sasquatch, nothing else. They said the prints were around 18 inches long. The man put his size 12 foot inside the print, and there were still five or so inches more in length. They told me that a couple days later they were out in the boat fishing and actually saw this thing in their campsite while they were out in the boat. Apparently it was throwing their stuff around and making a mess of things. The couple described the Sasquatch as a reddish-brown with long arms and a funny-shaped head. They believed it to be a male because of its bulk, size, and height, which they say was about seven to eight feet tall. I asked if it could have been a bear, and they both replied, "'As God is our witness, what we saw was a Sasquatch.' After describing the arms, legs, head, and all, there was nothing else it could have been. Personally, judging by their body language, and the way they were trembling while talking to me, I believe them one hundred percent, no doubt whatsoever. The older couple said they waited in the boat for a while, until they were certain it was gone.' And as fast as they could, they chucked everything in the camper and left the area, only packing up properly when they got to the town where they ended up staying that night. The couple were in their sixties, very clean and neat and polite. I can't see these two spinning a tail, because it's been almost six years since that time, and they preferred not to be bothered by it. The sighting area is no more than a forty-minute car ride from me, and it's exciting because I've actually heard of another sighting in that area, but I didn't pay much attention to the person at the time, but now I'm going to try and track him down to hear what he has to say. I'm wondering if maybe there is a Sasquatch, and it could still be in that area. Tim Martindale, Merritt, British Columbia. This is the end of story number five. Story number six. Teapot Hill Hiking Trail in Cultus Lake Provincial Park. My name is Sunel Hodzik, and today, December 12, 2012, at approximately 3 p.m., I was hiking with my dog up Teapot Hill hiking trail near Cultus Lake Provincial Park in the Fraser River Valley. The nearest town would be toward Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. On my way down the trail, I was changing my music on my iPhone "'not really paying attention to my surroundings "'when I noticed that my dog, Lila, was barking like crazy. "'She was about five feet ahead of me "'and staring off into the distance. "'So I stopped and looked ahead "'when I noticed something in the bushes "'about fifty feet ahead of me. "'I was so scared that I froze "'and just kept staring at it. "'After about a ten-second stare-down, "'I switched my camera on and quickly took a picture.' Meanwhile, my dog is still barking like crazy. I then picked up a rock and threw it in the direction of the thing, and then I quickly turned around and ran back up the hill. I waited about until I saw someone else coming down the hill, and I followed him closely behind all the way down. So uh, I do believe I saw the Sasquatch or Bigfoot that day. If I could describe it, I would say he was about eight to nine feet tall, very hairy and big. His skin color was brownish. His face was something like a monkey or ape. I took it with a full zoom on my iPhone 4. He was about 50 yards away from me. He's in the middle rightish of the picture. Only thing I noticed really was how he was standing, looking at me. It had a long face, but bigger forehead with long hair starting from about the top of its head. Sonel Hodzik, Chilliwack british columbia that is the end of story number six story number seven letter from el paso county colorado springs colorado summer 1991 to whom it may concern after reading some of your stories regarding bigfoot i thought i would add something i have kept rather a secret for quite some years I was a cadet at the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, Colorado back in the summer of 1991. I had been at the academy for only a few weeks and was finishing up basic training when it happened. Now, the academy itself sits on the foothills of the Colorado Rocky Mountains. Basically, I could step out of the cadet area and I would be standing in the mountains. There's plenty of brush, trees, and so on to concealed just about any one of anything you want back there. Anyhow, one night, about 9 p.m., my roommate and I were laying in bed chatting about our upcoming camp-out in Jack's Valley, an area just beside the academy where we did a lot of field training, when we heard what sounded like a woman screaming her head off. It was absolutely horrific to hear, What was most interesting was that prior to the blood-curdling noise, we could hear the other cadets in their rooms talking and joking. The campus was basically shut down for the night, and everyone was getting ready for the next day. I remember the ambient noise being rather loud. Then this scream came. All of a sudden, you could have heard a pin drop, it was so quiet. I turned and asked my roommate if he heard what I and everyone else had just heard. I know, what a dumb question. He looks at me and says, Oh, yeah, that's the local Bigfoot. I couldn't believe it, but of course I heard it. He then proceeds to tell me about a buddy of his who saw a big hairy human drinking at a local lake. When it saw his friend watching it, it stood up, turned away, and walked into the forest. Of course, the next week in Jack's Valley, for me, was a very nervous affair. I was more worried about getting up at night and walking to the latrine by myself than I was running the assault course. Well, I just thought I'd add my two cents worth. Please withhold printing my name from this email if you decide to post it. Thank you. That's the end of story number seven. Story number 8. Lake Christie, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. My story. I don't even know where to begin. To this day, even the thought of what I am about to tell you makes every hair on my body stand up and brings tears to my eyes. Why the tears? I don't know, but they are genuine. I have never discussed this with anyone, and hadn't planned to, but... After stumbling across your sight, I think I've had a change of heart. I live in Ontario, Canada. It is probably for this reason that I have never said anything until now. To my knowledge, almost all Sasquatch sightings are along the west coast on the continent and along the Rocky Mountains. I don't know how many sightings have been recorded this far east, but I know what I saw and heard on a few separate occasions." I used to work at a scout camp in northeastern Ontario. It is in a very remote location, nearly an hour's drive from any civilization, and one of the only true scout camps in all of Canada. It is surrounded by lakes and large hills of dense forests on all sides, and there are a few cottages scattered here and there around the main lake and camp that it's stationed on. Lake Christie, if I remember correctly, Although I live far away from this place, I worked there every summer from 1996 to 1999. My first experience happened in 1996. I was 16 years old. As a counselor, every two weeks we were moved around and put in charge of different scout and cub scout groups. I guess so everyone gets a chance to work with groups of all ages. On this particular rotation... I was working with one of the senior scout groups at the camp. As part of their last week there, they had to partake in what was called a solo night. This is where each camper is driven by one of the assistant camp directors to a remote location and left for the night with the bare necessities to survive, a sleeping bag, rations for one day, and two strike-anywhere matches. It was on this particular night that i will never forget the sounds that i heard it was late at night in august i'm not exactly certain of the time and i was sleeping in my tent in the upper field which is not exactly on the upper campgrounds but up the dirt road quite a ways and into the bush another five minutes walk altogether probably a twenty minute walk from the main campground in the middle of my slumber i was suddenly awakened by a loud deep, shrieking, squealing sound that I had never heard before. I sat up in my tent, alarmed and uncertain of what I had heard. I thought maybe it was one of my colleagues playing a trick on me, and the other two counselors who were camped up there alone for the night, or one of the other two, for that matter. This being a camp full of staff who are well known for their pranks, I wouldn't have put it past them. Then I heard the noise again, It was even louder. At first I thought it was a skunk being attacked by coyotes or something. I have heard that sound before and witnessed it. For those who don't know, skunks actually make a sort of shrieking, squealing sound when being mauled to death. I saw it firsthand, but that is another story altogether. Editor's Note All mustilidae, such as wolverines, weasels, badgers, civet cats, skunks, and otters, etc., "'Emit a loud to groaning squeal or high-rolling shriek, "'often sounding like a woman in hopeless distress "'when caught by predators or in iron-set traps. "'The sound can be very loud and unnerving, "'even from a wounded rabbit. "'However, the sound was much deeper. "'Then, just as it had come, the sound stopped. "'I lay awake for the rest of the night, barely moving a muscle.' When morning came, and the sun was bright enough, I slowly came out of my tent and walked to the main campground for breakfast. A few minutes later, the other two counselors came down to the main camp and gave me a mysterious glance. Then one of them approached and asked me, Was that you making all that racket last night? You scared poor Dave half to death. I just looked at him and said, What racket? With a stone-cold look, he gave me a knowing look and walked away. We never discussed it after that, and no one mentioned pulling a prank on me or the other two that night. Sooner or later, everyone owned up to their pranks, but no one even mentioned this one at all. It was not until months later that I realized what I may have heard. I was watching a documentary on TV about Bigfoot, and a crew hunting the evasive being had recorded what they thought were mating calls of the mysterious creature. When I heard the sounds of the recording come from the TV, the memories of that night came back to me. I quickly sat up, eyes glued to the screen, and the hairs on my neck stood up again. It sounded almost identical. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Again. My next encounter was two years later, 1998, in August, again, It was late August, and there were no more cubs for the remainder of the summer, so the designated cub field and its cabins were vacant. So, not having much to do and no kids to watch, I decided to sleep in the cub field with the rest of the staff, who had no children to take care of. The cub field is exactly that. It is a large clearing in the middle of dense forest. up yet another hill. It is probably 150 yards wide and probably... 200 to 250 yards long with a row of small cabins on either side while I laid in bed in one of the cabins I woke a little after 12 o'clock a.m. I don't know why but I was just suddenly awake in the distance I heard what I thought was howling but I wasn't exactly sure it sounded kind of muffled but I was used to that sort of thing I looked over at one of the other counselors staying in my cabin that night, and he was fast asleep. Then, out of nowhere, I heard what I thought was someone running right by my cabin. The steps were heavy and quick. I shot out of bed, grabbing my flashlight, wondering who was running around at this hour, since everyone was supposed to be in bed hours ago. I swung the door of the cabin open and shone my flashlight in the field. I couldn't believe what I saw next. About forty feet away, diagonally from me, I saw a large, hairy creature walking across the field very swiftly. I stood there in shock, wondering what my eyes were seeing. This thing was absolutely enormous. At first I thought it might be a bear, but then realized something. It was walking upright, on two legs. It was very tall, bulky, and had dark brown hair covering its entire body. Then, as if noticing my flashlight, it stopped, turned, and looked at me. I could see the yellow reflection of its eyes and its face. The face seemed to be almost half human, half ape-like, having little hair on its face, but the skin was almost the same color as its hair, a sort of light brownish color, it stood there, looking at me, and I at it, for what seemed like an eternity, but was probably more like a few seconds. I wanted to scream. I wanted to wake up the others, but I was frozen. I was caught up in the phenomenon that I was seeing, and couldn't move. That's when I noticed the smell. It was such a rancid odor, I had to plug my nose to save from puking, then The creature turned and began to continue its swift movement across the field, and in a matter of seconds it was across the field, walked between two cabins and into the dense forest. It was when it walked between the two cabins that I realized how tall this being was. I am six foot tall, without standing on my tiptoes. I can reach approximately to the seven foot four inch mark. This thing, as it walked between the two cabins, was taller than where the top of one of the doors is. The cabins are elevated off the ground. From standing on the ground, I cannot touch the top of one of the doors. I am a couple of inches shy of it. I checked the next day. I would estimate that this thing was probably around eight feet tall or close to it. Again, I lay awake for the remainder of the night, my hatchet by my side. This was the scenario for many of the remaining nights of that summer before I went home. There were even sleepless nights afterwards while at home. I didn't think I was afraid of anything, until that night. I tried searching for tracks the next day, but to no avail. I couldn't find anything. The next day I asked one of the head counselors if there were any large animals in the general area, such as bears, and he said... "'No. Apparently. There were no bears for miles and miles. "'I never mentioned anything about what I saw that night. "'I didn't want anyone to think that I was crazy. "'I thought I would just wait and see if anyone else mentioned something "'before I said anything. No one did. "'My last encounter was the following and my final year, "'yet again in August.' I don't know why I went back after all of the nightmares and sleepless nights from the previous summer. I guess I thought it was a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing. This time, I had taken a rowboat out onto the lake with a lady friend whom I had met that summer. Yes, there are female staff at scout camps. The main beach for the camp is in a small inlet of the lake, almost like a sort of small bay, before it opens up. As I was taking her on our romantic moonlight row as I was taking her out on our romantic moonlight row I heard what I thought was somebody whistling at me I stopped rowing she didn't hear it but I know I did I looked around at the surrounding shoreline and didn't see anything next I heard a splash "'a little one, as if someone had thrown a rock into the water. "'I thought maybe another couple was somewhere along that shore. "'I grabbed my flashlight. "'She grabbed hers. "'We scanned the shore from the safety of our boat "'to see if we could spot them. "'We were scanning in different sections. "'Then I saw them, those eyes, the yellow reflection.' "'I focused in on them, and they had an eerie resemblance "'to the ones I had seen the year before. "'Do you see them?' I heard her ask. "'Without looking away, I said, "'No, you?' "'No,' she replied. "'What is that?' referring to the eyes caught in my light. "'A deer?' she asked. "'Yeah, probably,' I said. "'But I knew better. "'Then the eyes were gone.' We then agreed that there was probably another couple out there and we didn't want to get busy in front of other people, so I turned the boat around and we went back to the camp. I have kept these secrets with me for five plus years now. This is one thing I can honestly say I haven't told a single soul until now. I will never forget what I've seen and heard, although there was no physical contact I have been extremely traumatized from what I've experienced. All this has been put in the back of my mind until now, probably because there was a show on this Discovery Channel about Sasquatch today. Like I said before, it still makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. This is the end of the eight stories. Thank you for listening. Greetings. This story is being brought to you by William Jefning and is being narrated by me, Jim Sower. This is the Chetco County, Oregon Monster. 1890. The Chetco Monster, sometimes called the Chetco Indian Devil. Location is about 60 miles north of Willow Creek, California, and approximately 6 miles north of the California-Oregon border. The story begins... Then one morning, enormously large human footprints were discovered along the riverbanks. The loggers laughingly accused one another of having feet as big as chopping blocks. Everyone from the oldest to the youngest in camp measured his footprints against those of the unknown visitor. Since no one's feet were that large, one question was bandied about repeatedly if those weren't a bear's tracks. Whose were they? The mining operation was a small one, employing a dozen men whose families lived in tents alongside the river. For several weeks, nothing unusual happened. Occasionally, garbage cans were overturned at night by marauding bears. Sometimes the beasts were so troublesome that an armed guard stood by while the loggers felled the big trees. At the campsite, mothers watched their young children closely. And forbade older boys and girls to play hide and seek in the forest. Even when they swam in the shallow river, an adult kept a sharp lookout for bears. Someone said there was a wild man living way up the river. He was an irritable old devil who threatened to shoot anyone who approached his cabin. No matter how bad the weather was, he never wore a hat or boots. He was always bareheaded and barefooted barefooted? Well, then the tracks were his. With the mystery solved about the tracks, the the people were happy and they promptly forgot them. But several nights later the sound of eerie whistling and angry shrieks awakened them. In every tent men bounded out of bed and grabbed their guns, assuming there was a wounded bear nearby. No one lighted a lamp for fear of attracting the beast, and frightened children were warned not to cry. The spine-chilling noises went on and on. Sometimes they seemed close by, other times from the direction of the road or the river, but finally the sounds faded into the distance, and quiet returned to the dark campsite. At daybreak the men gathered to talk. They debated whether it was a bear or a mountain lion. To satisfy themselves and ease their family's worries, A half-dozen men searched about for bear or mountain lion tracks. They found no mountain lion spore at all, and no fresh bear tracks. However, at the edge of the clearing, beyond the first stand of trees and dense undergrowth, they came upon more of the giant-sized human footprints. The men debated whether it was the old recluse. They agreed they had to catch the demented man before he killed someone. So, as quietly as possible, the search party backtracked along the line of footprints. These led them out to the road several hundred yards above the camp and up the road to the logging site. Here they found where the wild man had emerged from the forest into the open area and had prowled around tree stumps, piles of bushes, and the machinery used in loading the logs onto wagons. Then the men had a nasty shock. "'Massive, unwieldy tree limbs, far too heavy for one man to handle, "'had been pulled out of the tangled waste piles "'and either tossed aside like matchsticks "'or used to beat on the machinery. "'The searchers followed the tracks back down the road into the forest. "'For the first time they noticed shrubs torn to pieces "'and saplings uprooted and whacked to shreds. "'This explained the thudding and snapping sounds heard during the night. "'The footprints circled the camp.' went down the well-beaten path to the river, turning back to the road, went down it half a mile and turned off into the forest. The men pressed on as far as they dared. However, when the tracks plunged down into a steep ravine, they stopped. The gloomy depths provided too many hiding places for a demented killer. The Chetco Indians believed there were man-animals in the woods, the logger informed his friends. He had heard the story from a white man whom the Indians trusted enough to take into their confidence. They claimed that for generations they had shared their hunting grounds with fierce-looking, hairy creatures that walked upright like men. The strange beings were not human nor animal, neither friendly nor hostile. They were simply there, like every other man or wild creature so the Indians left them alone. But very late, on the third night, the frightening sounds were once again heard faintly from far off in the woods. People jerked upright in bed. As the whistling and screaming grew louder, in every tent men pulled on their trousers and boots and readied their guns. Obviously, the night howler was coming closer and closer. When he seemed only fifty feet away, One man took desperate action. Hastily fashioning a torch of oily rags and kindling, he set fire to it. Torch in one hand, rifle in the other, he raced into the woods. Meantime, the man's wife called for help. Within minutes, several men stumbled toward her in the darkness. They groaned when they learned that their comrade had gone into the woods alone. None hesitated to follow. But minutes passed, while one dashed off to fetch a lantern, and others supplied themselves with extra cartridges. Finally, the party headed into the forest in the direction from which the awful sounds were heard. They had covered only a short distance when the whistling and the shrieking stopped. The men halted and listened. There was a long silence, then an outburst of bestial yowling followed by human screams... Thinking their friend was being attacked, the men fought through the undergrowth. The man with the lantern in the lead. Moments later their comrade appeared and collapsed in their arms. At first he was too terrified to speak. His companions fired their guns to drive off the howler, and then waited patiently for the poor man to gasp out the details. He said that by torchlight he had followed the line of giant-sized footprints and suddenly came upon a huge creature covered with hair. A bear? No, an ape, a monstrous ape, seven or eight feet tall, two axe handles wide across the shoulders one axe handle measured twenty-five inches, so approximately fifty inches wide of the shoulders or approximately there, with beady yellow eyes and bared teeth. The torchlight must have blinded it because it stood back stock still and one hand shading its eyes Then it let out a tremendous roar. The man hurled his torch into his face, but instead of shooting at it, the frightened man had run, screaming toward the camp. While his companions did not doubt his word, they asked anxiously if he was sure the beast was an ape. Yes, he was positive. It really looked like an ape? Yes, an ape. Did it have fangs? You bet. Claws? The man said sarcastically that he hadn't stayed around long enough to study the brute. But after thinking it over, he said it had hands like a man, only twice as large and covered with hair right down to the fingernails. After that, they all decided to return to camp. After much discussion, the loggers agreed to take turns standing guard day and night until the ape was captured or shot. Two men would patrol the campsite on two-hour watches while the rest worked or slept. Since women present knew how to handle a gun, their assistance during the daylight hours was welcomed. The older boys and girls offered to gather firewoods so that large fires could be kept blazing all night. Nothing unusual happened during the day or the early night hours, but the two whose turn came about 2 a.m asked the men they were to relieve to stand by. They wanted to slip into the woods and really search for the ape. Reluctantly the one Patrol agreed to stand by while the relief party set out on their ape hunt. The hunters carried a small lantern because without some light they could not follow any tracks. But they were careful to keep the light at ground level. The rifles were loaded "'and the safety catches thumbed back. "'Not long after, they came upon bits of charred cloth "'amidst a welter of huge footprints. "'This must be where their friend had thrown his torch at the monster. "'Yes, there were his boot marks. "'After examining the area closely, "'they found where the ape had turned deeper into the forest "'instead of backtracking to the road. "'They followed gingerly step by step.' over and around ferns, shrubs, outcroppings, and rocks, and massive tree trunks. What happened next could only be guessed. Apparently, the ape-like creature loomed before them. One man started shooting, while the other put down the lantern and shot, too. The patrol on guard at the campsite heard the volley of shots. They pounded each other happily. The hunters had killed the beast. But then they listened, in mounting horror, to frantic cries for help, which were drowned out by horrendous shrieks and roaring. The awful noises continued for some moments, and then faded out. The silence was even more frightening to the guards. They shouted for help, and soon were surrounded by armed loggers and their wives. After a hasty explanation, all the men plunged into the woods. "'leaving the women to build up the fires and protect the children. "'The searchers shouted, swung lanterns, and fired their guns "'so that their friends would know that help was on the way. "'After advancing some distance, they stopped briefly and called to the men. "'When neither responded, they fired shots. "'No answering shots were heard. "'Once more the party advanced. "'Before long they came upon a gruesome sight.' Their friends were dead. Judging from the bloodstains, their bodies had been slammed against tree trunks and torn to pieces. A trail of blood-smeared footprints led off into the forest. The beast obviously had been wounded, but no man present was willing to track it through the dark forest. Some did volunteer to gather up the remains of their unfortunate comrades, while others returned to camp for blankets and to break the sad news. Within 24 hours the campsite was deserted. The logging operation was moved to another location. Professional hunter with trained hounds was hired to assist hunters in tracking down the savage beast. It was never captured nor its voice ever heard again. The most people could hope for was that it had crawled into a well hidden lair and died. This is the end of the reading. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you
3: or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at William Jevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J E V N I N G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential.
0: Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open now.